Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast that does, I think, what it says in the tin. It's best film ever. My name is Ian. And I'm Liam. And this is where we usually go, hey, Liam, we usually see a lot of films together, don't we, buddy? <laughs> we do indeed. <laughs> this, is like go, you. this is where I go, not so much anymore because, you know, of coronavirus and the lockdown, which I am, I want to be safe, Liam. I do, but I really want to see people again. <laughs> yeah. This is hitting me really hard. Is it? Yeah, I can imagine it is. Yeah, men- mentally, I'm yeah. struggling. It's, I'm, I'm not good with it. I'm not. I'm no. not. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, we've talked on 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 the podcast before. I mean, about what we do for a living. I teach, and I'm used to seeing hundreds of people a day and having hundreds of micro transactions of communication every day. And now I don't, and it's uh, it's uh, it's challenging. It's really, really challenging. I did not think this would hit me as hard as it has. Same, I didn't either. Yeah, yeah. but uh, here we find ourselves. Hey, we're like twelve, thirteen weeks in. We surely the worst is behind us. Fingers crossed. And if not, we can document the time where I was never more wrong. If it's like 2026 and we're still doing this, you could have me going, the worst is behind us, Ian, June 2020. <laughs> so, such is. Um, we had, Liam, an outstanding week last week. I discovered we that did. people really, really, really like their breakfast club. Oh, cool. It was. It's shot up. It's already like amongst our top... I think it's our third most listened to episode of all time. As we sit here like five days after release, I'm like, this is nuts. It's like double what the previous ones have done. People like their breakfast club. So it's a great movie. It is a great movie. And so for anybody who's out there, um, if you downloaded us for the first time to hear breakfast club, if you downloaded us for the 15th time, 14th time, 14th time to see breakfast club, (laughs) Uh, thank you so much. It's uh, it's fantastic, and I've even had a couple of people leave us some 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 feedback, Liam, which has been pretty pretty dang nice, actually. Oh, yeah, yes. it's been great. Uh, someone got a hold of me from a podcast called Ivy League Murders. Can you, can you imagine the sound of that? Ivy League Murders, and they just reached out yeah. out of the blue to say how much they're enjoying the podcast. I'm like, oh, that's really really kind. And they said, oh, giving you a rating. Oh, that's really really kind too. So I went ahead and listened. I went for a run today and was listening to Ivy League murders. And I'm telling you, like, some graphic, graphic murder case is going through my head as I'm trying not to die myself as I run around <laughs> the little village in which I, I live. And I'm just going, uh, maybe I chose the wrong venue to be having this podcast. But it was, it was really, really good. So big shout out to our friends over at Ivy League murders. Thanks for giving us some, some, some positive feedback, you know. Um, we we all get better if we support each other and all that good stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So, and we and we really appreciate it. We do. And another form of feedback I did last week, Liam, was I put up a poll. Because you know I like to put up a poll every week. 
And I said, what is the movie of the 80s? And I gave people two options and only two options. I said, Breakfast Club. And I said, Mm -hmm. Back to the Future. Which one do you think? Which one do you think won? Because obviously I was on Team Breakfast Club. You were on Team Back to the Future. Yeah. Which one do you think won? I'm going to say Back to the Future. Yeah, by like a two to one margin. I was very wrong. Oh, really? Yeah. I wasn't expecting it so. I think people like. You know what I blame? The car. The car. If the Breakfast Club had a DeLorean in the middle of it, if they were having detention in a DeLorean, I think I win. I do. I can't, I, I, I can't help it. But no, a, a two-to-one win, so that is that. But let's not stay back in time for too long. We have something to do this week. But before we do, we've been joined, as usual, by our perma-guests. Liam, let's allow them to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm yeah. Ellie. And I'm Georgia. And you guys were all firmly on Team Back to the Future as well, weren't you? Yep. I wouldn't say firmly. But you would, you would have voted Back to the Future. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Genuinely. I don't know. I look quite like both of them. Well, They're actually, very different, though, the, aren't they? If we exclude Georgia, I said two out of three, and out of the three remaining, two out of the three <laughs> went for Back to the Future. And that's what we call math. So, you know, such as. Uh, <laughs> two out of three. I'm not going to stay in the past for too long if you pick up my drift on that one, because we are going from a breakfast club, Liam, to Fight Club. Yes, and unlike Breakfast Club, where there were no breakfasts, we have a fight club <laughs> where there was certainly a lot of fights, and even a little bit of breakfast, if I recall. So, you know, if you missed the breakfast last week, you've got the breakfast this week. Uh, I think it's important to go first off, if you're listening to this, we are going to be going spoiler, spoiler, spoiler very early on this one. So if you're somebody yeah. going, I want to support my friends, that's great. Stop the podcast now and watch Fight Club before <laughs> you continue any further. Because I'm going to address the big twist really, really early in the deep dive. Because I think you have to mm-hmm. when you're reviewing it. You do. Yeah. So- and, it's, and the thing is, I was just discussing with Georgia before we came on how... Um, I see it with different eyes the second time round. You watch it differently to how you watched it the first time round. Absolutely. So, so yeah. So it must be a good time to just make sure everybody knows who had seen it before and who hadn't. So I'd seen it before, probably in the early 2000s, not long after it came out. Liam? Same. Yeah. Same. Georgia? Uh, I saw it probably three four years ago now um but going back into it couldn't remember it properly um but then as it started to like get to the middle of it i was going i'm sure something else is going to happen here and then lo and behold it did okay and then ellie this was your first view it sure was yeah okay so that's interesting all right so um before we get to whatever uh this was brought to us liam by uh lee don't call me lestat yeah that's right yeah he and i actually he and i actually exchanged some 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 interaction on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, something. He, was, oh, he responded to something because, uh, oh, we talked about, talk about Back to the Future, of all things. <laughs> he chimed in. And I was like, well, we may have to watch Back to the Future 2 at some point, if I can convince Liam. Ha, ha, ha. Because I thought <laughs> it won't be much of a, And then he jumped in going, oh, I'll talk to him. And I'm thinking, oh, cool, buddy. So I was like, hey, you're the guy. <laughs> so did he tell you why he wanted to hear us do uh, Fight Club? It's one of his favorite films. And he didn't expect us to review a film like this. Oh, really? So I thought, yeah, I thought it'd be nice if we reviewed it, to be fair. Well, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I mean, kind of the gimmick we have here is that I teach film studies. 
And Liam, you are just a really ravenous movie kind of guy. And so we see a lot of movies. We talk about a lot of movies. And we try to look at it from all angles. And therefore, why not have a go at Fight Club? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those. if, If Breakfast Club is one of those quintessentially 80s films, I think that Fight Club definitely, nothing speaks like end of a 20th century like Fight Club. Yeah, very great. Fight Club, released October 15th, 1999, based on a 1996 novel by Chuck Palahniuk. And to hear his version of a story, he had the idea for this film when he was camping one weekend and some people were making too much noise and he went over to tell them, I don't know how politely, but to turn the noise down and they like beat him up. And so he went to work the next day, and nobody would talk to him about his injuries that were very obvious. And he went, what would happen if, like, people did this in, like, regular life and just showed up in office environments all beat up? And that was kind of his idea for the novel. And it was a semi—it uh, was, it was a, a culture—it was literally sort of, sort of hit. Uh, and so they did look around buying film rights to the movie, and 20th Century Fox got the film rights for $10,000. I think Chuck under underestimated his selling point there. So, and then the question became, well, who do you have to direct this film? And there were a few directors who were in the line of fire before David Fincher, who gets it, ends up being given the reins. Their first, their first choice was Peter. I'm here for the Hobbits. Jackson, who did all the Lord of the Rings films. Now, this is before I believe the Lord of the Rings trilogy hits. But he had just done some, I wish I remembered it now and I don't, he had just done some really sort of dark kind of film just before that and they felt the tone would have been perfect for this. But he was the first guy they reached out to. And I'm going, that feels really, really weird. And then they went for Brian Singer, who would later go on to do like like the X-Men's franchise. They went after Danny Boyle, but Boyle passed. And then finally they went for David Fincher, and Fincher was up for it because he tried to get the film rights for Fight Club. So if we're saying, like, you know, Chuck undercut his selling point for $10,000, like, Fincher could have had it for fifteen or God knows how much, but, you know, like, they yeah. could have done better than this. And um, the idea was to take sort of the film, the presence behind the conflict in films like The Graduate or Rebel Without a Cause – and mix that in with, like, Generation X and advertising. And then what happens if you yeah. put those together? Now, if you sold me that as your pitch, it's going to be like Rebel of a Cause, but with advertising for Gen X. I'm not sure I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah, make it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying. But uh, the studio execs didn't like it, uh, the film in general, really, and tweaked it to try and make it more friendly, especially the marketing campaign. Uh, they shot it over 138 days. It took over 1,500 rolls of film to shoot, which is three times the usual amount, over three times the usual amount for a film. So Fincher shot a lot of, uh, of footage. And it was a film that kept having to have its budget like increased over and over and over again. And so it wasn't supposed to, but eventually it comes in at $63 million for the budget. Whoa. Yeah, which, which feels like a lot for this. For the time, yeah. yeah. It feels like a lot for this. Um, it was polarizing upon release, but The Guardian said it was an omen for change in political life in America. I don't... I think it's pretty safe to say in 2020, maybe that omen wasn't realized. 
Mm. I don't know what changes as a result of Fight Club. I don't know if it's that much different. But they did say it was visually groundbreaking. And I'm, I'll, I'll go on board with that. There are elements of this film that are fantastic visually. Um, the BBFC rated it an 18 and thought about going even more severe than that. There is a more severe than that? Yeah, basically you really can't get wide release. Oh. But they were talked down off it because if it wasn't for the end where like the narrator's macho sort of ways are sort of presented to the audience as wrong, if it had been a glorification of macho violence and antisocial behavior, it would and he didn't get any sort of redemption in the end, it would not have passed yeah. certification for, I, for like wide release. Interesting. Yeah, I see that. Which is weird because in North America, it totally would have it totally would have passed because it, it can be kind of one dimensional. There is there nudity, yes or no, checkbox. Is there drugs, yes or no, checkbox. But the idea about mm. what's the message this sends out on that deep of a level, I don't think it really holds anything up. I thought that was how they did it. Was just as a sort of checkbox. There's elements too, and like certain things like if you have like hard drugs, you can't get like a twelve. Yeah, like it's just like <laughs> it just is is but, what it is. Yeah, I didn't realize that sort of like the morality of the character decisions came into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of surprised really to see the depth of it. Um, it did not do great. It made a hundred point nine million dollars, which you might go, "Oh, it's more than sixty three, but that doesn't include marketing and things of that nature. Yeah. So actually, it probably loses money overall. But where it made its money, Liam, was DVDs, and that's how I saw. I didn't see this in the theater. Did you? I didn't see it. No. no. No, and so it becomes a cult classic. And on its tenth anniversary, the New York Times referred to it as the defining cult classic movie. Sorry, the defining cult movie of our generation, which is interesting. Uh, some little known facts, just to throw in there, because there's no organic way to really bring this up. Uh, David Fincher claims there is a Starbucks cup in every shot in the movie. <laughs> so. There's okay. a couple of times it's really heavily focused on, but apparently there's yeah. one hiding in every uh, f- in every shot in this film. So if you yeah, thought Ga- if you thought Game of Thrones was cool for doing it in 2019, having a, a, a cup left on set, I got news for you: David Fincher did it on purpose 20 years ago. <laughs> and then finally, have, are you guys from Liam? You're probably familiar with this person as an actress. Have you guys heard of Rosie O'Donnell? Yeah, yeah, Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, yeah, Rosie yeah. O'Donnell, comedian. yeah, a comedian. Georgie, you might be familiar with her as one of the monkeys, I think, from Tarzan. No, okay. I've not okay. seen Tarzan. I haven't seen Tarzan. Okay, um, but Rosie O'Donnell, the comedian, went and saw it and said it kept her up. She couldn't. Uh, ironically, she said she couldn't sleep since she saw it and was mad at the film, mad at the filmmakers, and gave away the twist ending on national TV. <laughs> wow. To which Brad Pitt referred to that as unforgivable, and I'm a hundred percent with him. I'm like, lady, lady, you work in the entertainment industry. You know what I mean? Like, people come on and, yeah, you you promote their stuff, but they promote you. If you were just going as Rosie O'Donnell with no guests, no one's one's tuning in. They're tuning in to see Brad Pitt. They're tuning in to see these stars. Yeah, and you don't get that same feel watching it for the first time when you know the twist. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, I had that with Sixth Sense. Like, a a TV show ruined that for me. Yeah. And I sat with there with, with my roommate. Little funny story. And we went and saw Sixth Sense, and he knew the twist ending, and I knew the twist ending, but we didn't... There's an ice Someone's cream truck ice cream down by George's house, I think. <laughs> or it could be Liam's. No, it's mine. Is it yours? outside my front door. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was it? Oh, so we both went and saw um, 
Sixth Sense, and we both knew the twist ending, but we didn't know the other one knew, so we were both trying to be really, really good, so the other one didn't know. At the end, I'm like, sorry, buddy, I knew the twist. He's like, I knew the twist ending. We're like, oh, you're kidding me. This is a complete, <laughs> not a waste of time, but I really would have loved to have seen that film not knowing the twist. Yes, yeah, same. So here we go. Um, on that note, I think it's important right off the top, let's talk about the twist, at, uh, the, the twist not ending per se, but the twist. The twist being that Ed Norton and Tyler Durden are two parts of the same character. So, Elliot, the person who most recently had this sort of happen to them, how was that moment? Um, I'd already worked it out. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'd worked out quite a long time before before it happened. And um, you didn't do, like, any, like, cheeky research and discover this? No. Um, the only... I think... I, I'm trying to think of when exactly I worked out that it was the case. Like, I knew that... I knew quite early on that either Helena Bonham Carter or Brad Pitt must be, like a figment of his imagination, but I hadn't worked out which one, but I definitely knew when, when they're on the roof and, um, he says to, to Marla, um, Tyler's not here. Tyler's gone or something, something to that effect. And she looks really hurt. I definitely knew at that point that he was Tyler. See, Liam, Georgia, I don't know how you guys feel. Like I didn't clue in on this. So when he did that speech to me, I was I was picking my job off the floor and needed like a shovel to help because I was like, I was like, slow down the movie. What is going on? Yeah, same. I was exactly the same. Georgia, do you remember what your reaction was? And actually, Um, you said you kind of forgot about it. So maybe both times. (laughs) Yeah, no, I had kind of forgotten about it. Um, I would definitely wouldn't say slow down the movie because Jesus Christ, this drags in points. Um, But uh no, I, I can't really remember. I was kind of going, huh, okay. Oh. Like it didn't, it wasn't massive for me, no. Oh, it's huge for me. Liam, you said it was huge for you? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a Usual Suspects kind of ending that sort of made me go, oh my God, that yeah. all fits into place. Yeah. Um, which is why the second time you watch it, which I didn't realise, the first time I watched it, you know the flashing bits at the beginning? Yes. That you keep seeing? Is that Tyler? Yes. Starting to appear. Yes. Okay. Because I didn't pick up on that the first time I watched it, but picked up on it the second time I watched it. <laughs> it's, one, it's one of those films, usual suspects, prestige, things, things of that nature, where the second time you watch it, it can be just as rewarding, theoretically. So I'd yeah. seen it at least twice before. Third time I watched this communal experience was kind of eh by the whole thing. It had been a while. I decided I was going to watch a bit more carefully with regard to characters this time and just sort of see how they were represented. And I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, my question is this, and it's kind of, I'm trying to figure out why Ellie figured it out and why two intelligent people like me and you, Liam, why we didn't. And I've got a theory here because I was talking to a friend back home via social media today. And he said that this really was the first sort of um, mainstream version of the uh, unreliable narrator that he can remember, mm-hmm. where you kind of go, you know, kind of, we talked about it with the Joker, didn't we? Yeah. In, in Joker. And we went like, if we can't trust it, what can we trust? And then we've, we've been lied to somewhat, the whole film, by the narrator. And I'm going, when we would have seen this, Liam, this might have been the first time we'd seen this trope occur. So you're naively watching the film thinking everything is hunky-dory, uh, uh, whereas yes. I'm looking at it skeptically. I think we are 100% <laughs> yeah. trusting the film. That and we didn't yeah. know it was this, this great big film, this idea of it like, oh, you got to pay attention to this one. You got to do this with this. We're just kind of watching a film. Yeah. Right? And we're kind of yeah. going, oh, we're buying in and all this stuff. And we're not exposed. We haven't seen this trick before. Yeah. This is just a really gory film. This is just, oh, I don't know it's a gore. <sighs> oh, it is. 
Gritty would be the word I it's might use. Gritty film. Places. Well, let's begin, therefore. Let's begin with the deep dive. And we start with, uh, Liam, I don't know if you've seen any of our David Fincher films, like Seven. Um, yeah. But, like, David Fincher loves himself a big artistic cr- title sequence. Yeah. He loves credits and sort of doing something like that. And so we get this very, I mean, this couldn't be any more 2000 if it tried. From the font <laughs> to the color to the music. The music was done by the Dirt Brothers, who are, I guess are some sort of electronic group. He wanted Radiohead and or Tom York to do it. But they were, uh, he turned it down saying that he was exhausted from the OK Computer recording tour sort of thing. Uh, so they went this yeah. way instead. And you know what? As a, as a quick aside, I really like the score and the music in this film. I, yeah, I do. I, I, I like the uh, end, end title song. Oh, well, that's too. good too. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, and so we get this sort of nice pit bit of some sort of music, and then we hear a record scratch, and we are like assaulted by like visuals and loud electronic noise slash music as we're looking at the inner workings of the brain. And apparently this simulates the uh, brain patterns when fear is experienced by someone. And so the theory is we're inside, right in the title sequence already, we are inside the narrator's head looking at his brain chemistry and what is going on, which I thought was really, really cool. And Fox only allowed this to be produced. This had a budget independent of the film and only allowed this to be made when they were happy with the film that came out the other side. Oh, okay. So interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, see, I thought it was like a fight or flight thing, so I was quite happy when I did my research. And I went, oh, it's fear. Excellent. Mm. In the first draft of the film, there was no voiceover. And they said none of the humor lands if you take away the voiceover. But at the time, the voiceover as a technique was considered trite and hackneyed. And so if you go, but we're going right now, we're going, is a voiceover really that big of a deal? But again, when we said like this was so much of a groundbreaking film, this did sort of break the mold again so we could have voiceovers and things of that nature. So. I think it definitely needed it. I, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. Yeah. Um, And then we get introduced kind of to the narrator who's got a gun in his mouth. Uh, Important to sort of mention that originally the uh, producers wanted a big sexy name like Matt Damon or Sean Penn to play this role. And eventually they went with Ed Norton because they'd seen him in The People versus Larry Flint. Liam, have you seen that one? No. Okay. I know I know of it, but I've not seen it. It's like Woody Harrelson, oh, Woody Harrelson. Ed Norton, and yeah. Courtney Love. Yeah, he's really good yeah. in it. He is really, really good yeah. in it. Um, and they get Ed Norton in the end because um, Fincher was a fan of Norton's, like I said, from, from Larry Flint. And so this is what we call uh, a circular narrative because we're going to start pretty much at the end. And then we're going to go back to the beginning and work our way back to the point in which we first experienced the film. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So we get this bit, and he's got a gun in his mouth. And the opening line is, I'm often asked if I know Tyler Durden, which is just a great first line, I think, because Mm. it gives you away the twist in the opening line. Right? (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, and then he says, "Um, I'm... I'm in this building. There's a bunch of explosives at the bottom of this building. And I know this because Tyler knows this, he says. And again, I'm going, you are giving away the twist. If you're paying enough attention, you've already got the yeah. movie. You've already got the twist two lines in. Yeah. 
And so then we start moving backwards. Because he's asked, do you have any last words? The gun comes out of his mouth. He goes, nothing that I can think of. And he goes, okay. And then we cut back to the support group where he's being held to Bob's breast. And then he goes, nope, we're still... Meatloaf. We're still not back far enough, and we need to start with the fact that at one point, the narrator, whose name we never get, you might think it's Jack, because he says like things like, I am Jack's um, misguided sense of vengeance, but he, we never actually do get his name. No, I thought that. Um, and so we find that he has insomnia, and um, he starts kind of going on a little bit of a monologue about everything he hates about modern life. And the corporations will put their name on everything. And he has a scene with his boss and goes, he's wearing his cornflower blue tie. That must make it Wednesday. And these are all the trappings that actually do happen in like regular life. People have their Wednesday tie and they have a conversation full of so much corporate doublespeak. You want me to reprioritize this to the top of my priority list? And yeah, and these are the kind of things that in every line of work, you have this kind of garbage that you cycle back to each other. Those sort of words that mean nothing except for within the context of where you work. And um, he goes ahead and goes, uh, basically, my my life is the inside of an Ikea catalog. And Georgia, you're kind of big on the sort of visual. We talk about on our other podcast about, you know, animation style and how that goes. What was your take of a scene where, like, his house populates like it's an Ikea catalog come to life with all the descriptions beside it? I really liked that bit. Um, I think that is probably the only notable thing I have on the cinematography of this film at all, though. Um, the very, very end, there was a couple of nice bits with it. But, um, yeah, no, I can't really think of much else. But I did appreciate the house coming to life like a IKEA catalogue. Because if, if anyone's ever been to an IKEA store, not that we're able to at the moment, but uh, <laughs> it does look very much like that. Um inside of one and it was yeah. it was quite cool to see that pop up on the screen i'm kind of surprised ikea signed off on it because even to make that reference you have to get clearance and i'm signed they're like yeah. yeah go ahead make us the like i guess they must have gone it's a great advert for the product like how many people are going to hear about ikea who might not have before ikea are a pretty fun company to be fair if you watch any of their adverts they're pretty like oh. their television adverts they're pretty fun loving they're swedish every swedish person i've met in my life has been fun loving but it's, do you want that association with kind of crime oh, the, and Well, he does say he, he loves his things. So if you're going to be into things, Ikea is the stuff, you know, the best mm-hmm. of the best for the materialistic, I guess. I do love Ikea. Yeah, so there we go. The irony was he had all these beautiful dishes and he even opens the cupboard and we get a shot from inside the cupboard of him looking at the blue dishes with the bubbles. And you get an identical shot of him opening the fridge and there's no food. So he's got all the dishes and all the stuff that makes things look pretty and that makes things look nice. And yet, when he's got um, the function they're supposed to serve, he doesn't have that. So he goes to a doctor and he's trying to get some sort of meds because he cannot sleep. And um, the narrator says, I have this tendency to nod off and then wake up in strange places. And I'm going, you are absolutely like, laying hints for how this movie's going to go. And the doctor says, look, I can't give you any meds, even though you want the meds. What you can do, go to the support group and see what real pain looks like. And so he goes to some testicular cancer support group. And uh, I don't know if anybody noticed, but Tyler Durden shows up for a frame right there. Brad Pitt shows up in his Tyler Durden-like jacket in the background of a shot. Hmm. 
yeah. to yeah, show, to sort of preface us. And he's wearing the same outfit we see him in later in the movie. So they're, they're like warming us up to the idea, here he comes. But also the idea of it, wait, why was he there and not there? But what do we do? We forget, because just like we find out later in the film, if something doesn't, looks like we notice something, but we don't get a payoff to it, we ignore it because it really wouldn't have been yeah. there, would it? No. And so... This is where we meet Bob, who's a lovely little character. And I say a little ironically because <laughs> he's a big man. And Liam, who plays Bob? Uh, Meatloaf. Meat- I want to say his real name then. <laughs> That's fine. Meatloaf, Paradise by the Dashboard Line himself. And he is wearing a fat suit in order to get that. Uh, his, his character has an has a excess of testosterone. And so his body ends up creating extra... Um, extra estrogen which results in him having giant man breasts and in order to do that he had to wear a fat suit which was apparently about 90 pounds of weight and the breasts themselves in order to make them realistic they were filled with birdseed oh that'd have been heavy so i'm just going yeah i well i guess i think it was more about shape than like you know yeah. Anything else, just as long as they sort of resembled actual breasts. I like to think my breasts do not look like they've been pumped full of birdseed. <laughs> and this is where the narrator discovers that he's good with support groups because when he's cried himself out at these support groups, when masquerading as a victim, he can find sleep because he cries out all of his pent up energy. And so he becomes addicted to uh, these groups. And he's at this one specifically where he's instructed to go into your cave and find your power animal. And his power animal is an animatronic penguin. And one and George, you might appreciate this. When he's in there, there is some breath that comes out of his mouth because, of course, he is in an like an, like an ice cave. And the breath is actually the exact same graphic as was the breath for Jack and Rose in Titanic when they're out on the uh, water. <laughs> so they just repurposed the, uh, the, the, the graphic and used it for this film instead. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, and then enter Marla. Marla played by... I'm trying to remember what her name from the Harry Potter universe is, but yes. Beatrix the Strange. Beatrix the Strange. Love Strange. Bella's Bella's Tricks of Strange herself, Helena Bonham Carter, um, who I thought was really good in this. She was phenomenal in this. Like, what's what's my character? You're just playing damaged all movie long. (laughs) All right. Originally, this role was apparently supposed to go to Janine Garofalo, who was an an early 90s comedian. She was in films like The Truth Between Cats and Dogs was her big hit. Uh, She had a lot of supporting actress roles, too. But she was cast. And then there's different stories about why she doesn't appear in the final film. One report has to do with the idea that she was uncomfortable with the sexual content that would be required of the film. The other is that Ed Norton went to management and said she doesn't have the acting chops to pull this off. Get rid of her. (laughs) You do hear a lot of stories about Ed Norton being an absolute jerk on set in movies. You do. So... Uh, that being said, I have a hard time believing that Janine Garofalo's performance ends up like Helena Bottom Carter. So Bella's Tricks of Strange does better than uh, Janine Garofalo. And when she was asked to sort of kind of what she should do to sort of base her performance, they told her, think about Judy Garland in her like 
like final years and base yeah. that so much of a David Fincher called her Judy on set to try and keep her in that mindset. And we hear her footsteps before we see her. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. We hear her from like yeah, the corridor and it gives the yeah. idea that this is going to be the disruption. And she is. And the narrator is angry that she's lying about being sick in all these groups. And he calls her, uh, a, a tourist, uh, he says that if he had a tumor, he'd call the tumor Marla. <laughs> and you know that lack of self-awareness or that lack of self-accountability, that how dare someone else do exactly what it is I'm doing, is, uh, is telling of the narrator. And then really briefly, we meet Chloe. Chloe, who's sick and is up there saying that she knows she's going to die and she's made her peace with that. But what she can't make her peace with is that no one wants to have sex with her anymore. And kind of has this very, if I'm being a, a very honest moment about, I just don't want to be lonely. I, if anybody's in the room and, and fancies it, I've got and sort of lays out all the things she has that will help sex be possible. And they shun her and they push her. And I felt that was a moment that was kind of, I don't know if it's supposed to be darkly comic. I just thought it was a really interesting moment that could have actually been explored a little bit further. Yeah, I found a bit of an awkward moment because I thought she, she, the actress brought it um, that tenderness across, yeah, and uh, a vulnerability of truth, mm-hmm. and that was just pushed aside. And I just thought, oh, because like you, I'd like to, you know, explore that a little bit more. Yeah, um, yeah, because up until this point, she says everything you want the sick person to say in a group, right? I'm not afraid of death anymore. Good for you. I'm still yeah. here good for you and i still want to have sex no we don't want to think about sick people having sex please go sit down no no you're embarrassing yourself now go 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 die with dignity like you said you were going to i'm like it's a really interesting idea about the the fakeness that you sort of maybe put on even in even in death right yeah yeah um and then we have the confrontation where they go and get coffee and the narrator calls them out and says, I saw you here. I saw you there. I saw you at this group. I saw you at that group. And she goes, I saw you practicing this speech earlier. And it's a great little sort of tweak. And he calls her a tourist and they both threaten to expose each other. And eventually they decide they are going to split the week. Almost like you would if you were like getting divorced and had to share custody of a child. <laughs> They're doing this with the support groups. And as this conversation's going on, Marla just goes and walks into the street with no concern. If she gets hit, she gets hit. She is an agent of chaos and is like, you want to hit me? Go ahead and hit me. Whereas Norton is so con- concerned about everything that they're really perfect foils in this regard. But you can tell he's a bit... His level of anger with her comes from a level of, I don't know, infatuation? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little bit of envy, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Um, to be so outgoing as her, as not nonchalant as her? I don't know. Yeah. I think this bit where she was kind of just standing in the middle of the street so much and not getting hit, that, and the way it was shot as well, that was when I was trying to sort of, you know, work out what was happening and whether it was her that wasn't real or Brad Pitt that wasn't real. It was that, that scene that I kept coming back to in my head, just thinking that maybe that was what, maybe it was her because she just kind of seemed invincible. And then later, later on again, she just suddenly okay. And 
just you know that great series of reveals where they go back and show you all the shots but with brad pitt out of it yeah, I don't want to see the version of that where like she's fake, and so they go to like the like the, the bedroom and he's by himself. <laughs> I do not need to see that scene with his rubber glove on. <laughs> with his rubber glove on. Um, and so we begin then a, a montage of the narrator waking up and falling asleep in different locations. The idea that his job requires him to be on the road a lot. And as this is going on, he actually says, "Could you wake up as a different person?" And right as that line's getting said. He's going one way on a moving walkway. Is that what you call it? A moving walkway at the airport? Yeah. And on the so other like direction, travelator. you've travelator. You've got Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden on the other side. And the camera even pans to follow him right when he says, could you wake up a different person? Um, and this is where we didn't find out what the narrator's job is. And he walks us through the cold calculation of the insurance formula. Um. And uh, he tells this story to a woman on the plane who asks him, which, which car company do you actually work for? And he goes, a major one. And he just sort of stops there. I don't imagine any car company was going to sign off on that. No, <laughs> Ikea's no. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our cars are murder traps. <laughs> I, no, we're not going to sign off. <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I think every furniture company's furniture will probably blow up if you put a bomb next to it. But Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then enter Tyler. And um, Tyler just starts reading out his role in case of a crash. And he's exposing, like, how stupid these things are. Like, like, has anybody ever sat in, like, the the, the room with the extra leg room on the plane or by the door? No, you reserve that for tall people like you. Okay. Uh, See, I have. And (laughs) and they actually make you go through the whole now. Are you prepared and willing to help people get off the plane? You're like, oh, yes. Yeah. And you go, it's like getting deputized. It's like, they talk about (laughs) single service friends and single service drinks. It's like a single service sheriff. You're just like, yes, I am the deputy of the plane. And in case, everybody, in case happens, is right. I am. Watch where you sit. I have the power in case we. Like, if it goes down, I'm not helping anybody. You know what I mean? Like. (laughs) No, like, like I'm, some, I'm somehow going to rise to the not because I don't want to, because we're probably all going to die. That's the truth. Yeah, but you'll be so high on oxygen that you'll well, just be fine. And, and this is where he exposes, everyone. you know, a the happy faces on those on those information pamphlets, and then secondly, the idea about getting high on the oxygen. And he kind of just goes, "Look, we're going to die," and sort of expose it without the fear. And he's obviously, and he he looks cool like his character design especially for i don't know if you guys know this because it's 2020 for 1999 this is about as cool as you can look yeah he doesn't really look cool anymore but oh, does I he not? That oh. no he really doesn't in my head this um, is still what cool looks no, like absolutely not um 1999 <laughs> maroon leather jacket colored colored sunglasses i mean that's a big tip that we're like in the early 2000s uh his hair i'm just like Oh, you are the coolest looking dude. Like I, I chased that look for a good 15, not directly, like I want to be Brad Pitt in, 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 in Fight Club, but just in general, like those sorts of things where I was chasing that look for a good 15 years. Thank goodness you stopped that. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Georgia, you're awfully quiet. Is Brad Pitt cool in this? Does he look cool there? Um, no. He's got to look, not really. He, he's got to look better and more fashionable than Ed Norton, doesn't he? Well, not to a modern day audience. Not more fashionable, no. Oh, wow. I appreciate for the time he does. Like, for the for the period it's supposed to be set in, like, I, 
understand he's supposed to look cool. We live in a time now where people are like buttoning polo shirts up to the very, very top and wearing that out like it's some sort of like statement. I'm like, you just look stupid. Yeah, well, I'm mm-hmm. I'm sure in 20 years time, if we were to review a film from this time period and, and say, look at their clothes, we'd also think, oh, yeah, they looked cool at the time, but they look ridiculous no. now. Like, I'm afraid Brad cool. no, Brad, cool. Brad Pitt's look in this is he not timeless, okay? It's awful. Oh, I love it. No and way. I'm deciding, and we're not even that far in, but what I'm deciding is that this film is very, very, very much geared towards the male species. Oh, it really is. Um, You're not wrong. And, and it does not blow over as well with females. Actually, and I think it probably yeah. draws to a over-violenced, over-gored film with not much substance other than a twist at the end that distracts you. Um, and because we're not as distracted by the violence, we kind of go, no, this isn't actually that good. It's really interesting you bring um, all this up because uh, when this film came out, what actually ended up happening was all these sort of underground fight clubs started like popping up. And like the police having to break them down because the guys, like some people missed the key message and they went, yes, this is, we need to be violent and you're not living unless you're hurting. And this is what we need to be doing is go back to our primal urges. And it's like, no, you need to stop. No. Yeah. Thank you for your man response. Um, as the other woman on the podcast, I actually really liked the film, so I would completely disagree with what you said. I, well, I was saving it for, like, at the end, we actually have to give r- rationale rather than just go, yeah, you're wrong. Well, like George's summary now. <laughs> we're only four people, so. Yeah. Um, and so back to the Tyler Durden and original choice. And they were split, much like some of this conversation might be. They were split between <laughs> who should play Tyler Durden. Because one producer, I want Brad Pitt. The other producer, <laughs> are you not entertained? I want Russell Crowe. Oh. Like Russell Crowe might have that. Okay. Here's what Russell Crowe gives you. Russell Crowe gives you he's a man. You know what I mean? Like he's not yeah. cool. So that's the thing. He won't be cool, but he's going to be like, he's like your, your, your like serious, like uncle who's like got his life together kind of stuff. Right. You know, you want to be a man. This is what it means to be a man. Like, he's like, I'm going to fight bears. That's kind of what Tyler Durden turns yeah, into yeah. then. So yeah, interesting. Brad Pitt bring, brings the, the, the pretty boy to it. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Like, what, I don't know what the age discrepancy would be, but Russell Crowe has an older energy to him. Yeah. As, he's more, and Russell Crowe's got more of a, a thug look about him rather than a, yeah. a a likable thing about him, if you like. Yeah. And so this is where the narrator notices that he and Tyler have the exact same briefcase. <laughs> and yeah, another one of those moments where you're going, of course you do, because there's only one, one briefcase in it. And he gives yeah. him the cards as I sell soap. And then uh, he goes through a whole bunch of stuff and, and he says, oh, you're, uh, the narrator says, you're the best single serving friend I've ever had. And he tries to explain the joke and Tyler goes, no, no, I get it. It's clever. And how's being clever working out for you? And he's like, oh, it's all right. He's like, oh, it's all right, is it? Okay, great. And it's great because as he walks by, he then leaves. Like, the plane's not landed, but he gets his suitcase and, like, leaves the seat. And, like, nobody stops him. Now, unless you know what the twist is, you're going, you might go, you might not even go, why is no one stopping him? Well, tell why no one's stopping him because he's not really there. Yeah. Which happens throughout. Um, and so they get to the, um, back to the airport, and his luggage has been taken apart because it's been vibrating so they, they can't give him his luggage and they said it might be because you've got a razor or it might be because you've got a dildo in there 
<laughs> and he tries to explain that it's not a dildo, and he goes, ah, none of my business. And he gets home and finds out that his apartment has blown up. And it's kind of funny because we just heard in the conversation with Tyler Durden that it's really easy to make um, do-it-yourself explosives with, like, orange yeah. juice and many other household items. Yeah. And I think as the audience, we're getting here way before the narrator is. We're going, well, I don't know. What was your take on it? We just learned about explosives, and then this apartment builds up, blows up. Did, yeah, did, did, did I, you I think? that. Yeah, I mean, the conversation before the apartment blows up was like, oh, okay, this guy's clearly got some sketchy goings on. And then the apartment blows up, and it's like, well, that's obviously got something to to do with it. But I'm I'm now thinking, now I have seen the twist, like, how does he manage to blow his own apartment up does like does he turn on the or break that switch whatever it was himself and just do well, it before he goes away it looks like the pilot light he would have filled it with freon i guess before it before he left mm-hmm. he then damaged the pilot light so it leaks out anyway so it fills up yeah. for days and days and days and at some point the fridge is going to turn itself on and eventually it'll spark and blow up but timing but, that it happens to blow up on the day he gets home that's a bit suspect but they said that they found like traces of the powder yeah. In the apartment. It would have already been there, wouldn't it? He doesn't go mad when he meets Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden's just the first... Yeah, I know. Ki- I just don't understand where the traces of powder came from. Because he said that, they'd, that it had been put through a keyhole. He puts it in there before he leaves. Yeah. I thought that was supposed to be that... Maybe I just don't understand the logistics of how it blows up. Maybe. I thought the powder was like the, ex- the explosive that actually sets it off. No, it's just residue from other things he's been doing, I should imagine, or a, an additional explosive. Yeah, that's so what it's the still main... the, So it's still the fridge that triggers it? The, the fridge still triggers, oh, okay. yeah. Just the, 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 the pilot light is the what's supposed to fool the insurance company at first. Mm-hmm. Liam. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say. Oh, um, no, no, no. <laughs> And so Brad Pitt, um, Tyler Durden gets phoned by the narrator. It's interesting because when he phones Durden, Durden doesn't pick up, does he? And then he hangs up the phone and then it phones back with a real easy I star 69, which is like, I don't know what you guys call it here. It's when you check to see who's phoned you. Yeah. And then you phone him back. 1471. And this is where we get the idea that they have a speech and they hang out in in a bar, lose lose grill or lose pub or something and we get the idea that the things you own end up owning you does that mean he drank four pitchers of beer on his own three pitchers oh Uh, even so yes and this is where we have the great can i stay at your place and i think we've all either been on one side of the other of this conversation where we're trying to politely lay down the hints to see if someone will let you crash at their place or give you a ride home or something and the other person's like going to helping you with the dance and going oh i've had an idea everybody knows what's going on someone's asking someone can i stay with you I did it once. I phoned up. I was going to go to Phoenix for a week. I had some friends there, and I phoned. I got a hold of one and said, "Can you recommend any hotels in the area?" And he said, "You're going to stay with me, aren't you?" And I went, "Oh." He said, "He said that's what you need, isn't it?" And I went, "Well, well, yeah." And he saved me hundreds of dollars by like letting me stay with him. But in essence, I kind of was hoping he would offer. Yeah, I was totally willing to take the advice on which hotel it was. But yeah. if he could, thanks, Travis. Uh, if he could <laughs> give me give me a place to stay, I I was like, yeah, I'm definitely all, all in on that. And uh, this is where we get the line that says, you know, hit me as hard as you can. 
Tyler says, before they go, anywhere, hit me as hard as you can, because how much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight or something like that? Yeah. And so uh, he goes up there, and he punches him in the ear. So the narrator, Ed Norton, punches Brad Pitt's Tyler Durden in the ear. And the thing about punch, it it is an evil punch, because right before they shot it, David Fincher went to Ed Norton and said, I want you to really punch him in the ear. So what you're seeing is you're actually seeing him punch him in the ear. And if you watch it back, you can see that Norton is laughing about it. (laughs) (laughs) Because Pitt's like, what? He takes up pretty well then. He does take it pretty and doesn't break character, at least on that take. Hopefully it was just a one yeah. take thing. Yeah. And this is where we get Tyler's backstory told through us. It's the only time the film does this, but Ed Norton breaks the fourth wall and talks directly. He's been narrating, but it's the first time he talks directly to us. And Durden interacts with Norton as Norton's talking to us as well. Like they're both aware they're being watched. And we find out that he's a projectionist, and we find out he's a waiter, and he's really bad at both jobs. Yeah, or he's really good in like devious ways at both jobs. So he splices in uh, pornography into children's films, and he um, puts every sort of human foot of human byproduct possible into food and serves you. Um, and they decide they want to get hit, and he, so we cut back to them hidden in the air, and he goes, "Hit me again!" And they get into a fight, and they go, "We should do this more often." And then we get a montage of. Um, the house that Tyler lives in and has invited the narrator to stay with him cross cut with the growth of fight club. And these two things sort of happen simultaneously. And there's a great shot where they're drunk in the middle of the night and they're just golfing because no one else is around for half a mile. It says, and in that, that in that scene, Norton and Pitt are both legitimately drunk and they are hitting golf balls off the side of the catering truck, (laughs) which I thought was a fun little story. Yeah. And then a really weird scene, which might have been a tip off to me if I'd been thinking about it maybe today. The narrator's hanging out with Brad, with Tyler Durden as Durden takes a bath. Mm. Doesn't strike me as bro behavior. And they're talking no. and they're talking about what happened with their dads. Yeah. And the narrator didn't know his dad. He left after six years, and we find out that he kind of, every six years, he sort of moves on and has, like, different families and yada, yada, yada. And Tyler says, oh, he's establishing franchises, <laughs> which is a funny little term that came back again. Yeah. And the narrator says, I'm, I'm, not, even, I'm not ready to be a dad. I'm, I'm, I'm like a 30-year-old boy. <laughs> and I wonder if there's a commentary there about modern masculinity, if you want to look at the negative side of it and go... Yeah, it's great that you have this, this, and this, but no one grows up anymore. Everyone's chasing <laughs> being a kid forever. So true. Well, yeah, I can relate to that. I, I can, trust me. I was sitting there going, I would have described me at 30, I think, pretty well. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, and so then we have, we cut and we have the fight clubs getting rules now for the first time. And it's the most quotable line of the film. First rule about fight club is you don't talk about fight you club. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. So we are breaking both those rules here today, Liam. Because we, we are talking a lot about Fight Club. Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, Just whilst we're um, on this one, I was tasked with finding some bad reviews of Fight Club um, earlier. And okay. I think this is a good way, um, good place just to splice one of these in. Uh, this is from a top critic on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. He writes for the Los Angeles Times. 
On January 1st, 2000, he wrote, If the first rule of Fight Club is nobody talks about Fight Club, a fitting subsection might be, why would anyone want to? Oh. <laughs> you know what that is? That's a case of a guy who went, I know what I could say. Ha ha ha. That I is very be, witty. I will be so witty and droll here. <laughs> the better one might be, Liam. So the first rule of Fight Club is don't talk about Fight Club. How does Fight Club ever grow? Because we do have people who happen to like wander upon it. But then like once it goes underground at the, at the bar, you know, in, into the basement... There's no reason for it to ever grow at that point. Surely someone's got to talk no. about it. Well, we do see Bob exactly. later in the film, don't we? Going, well, oh, I'm not supposed to talk about this thing. Yeah. I'm really not supposed to talk about it. I guess it's <laughs> human nature to do that, yeah. And but then and Brad Pitt does have a go at it them. as well. They say... Well, the one, the one week, yeah. Says, yeah, one of them says, well, some of you have obviously been breaking the first rule of Fight Club. And they all laugh. And then it's Brad yeah. Pitt. And then Brad Pitt gets really, really mad. Um, mm. And during this part, we see Norton start to smoke, which is really interesting because earlier he turned down a cigarette from Tyler, and now he's starting to pick up some of those behaviors as well. Oh, I didn't notice that. And actually, Norton uh, famously would never smoke for a film. This is the first time he actually drops that and allows himself to smoke for a film. It's because he's not Norton, he's Pitt. It's because it's what? It's because he's not Norton, he's Pitt. Uh, okay. Yeah. He's playing Brad Pitt. He's playing Brad Pitt, but you could have had, you could have had a different six in the fire. It could have been sunglasses. It could have yeah, been did, yeah. it could have been drinking whiskey. There could have been other things, right? Other things, yeah. It was a joke. Okay. The best jokes are the ones where you have to tell everybody. Well, I do uh, think Georgia laughs. <laughs> oh, did she? Okay. Uh, and this is where we, it's been a while, so we go fight, back. Fight, fight, fight. fight. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while, so now we to go back to, what's her name again? It's not Marta. What is it? Marla. Marla oh, yeah. and her suicide attempt. Marla. Where she, bless her, she's going to live stream, basically, her suicide attempt. And Norton's like, this is going to take all day. And he hangs up the phone on top. But he hangs it on top he of the register. Hang up, does he? he just yeah. kind of leaves it. And how it. does she get the number? Like, there's, it's really easily explained away by just, oh, you left a forwarding number. I'm like, What? Like this is like nothing else works in this house, but the phone does. Yeah. Um. And didn't so, he get her number? Didn't Didn't he get her number? Yeah. And fi- they exchanged numbers at one point. Yeah, five 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 one two three four. But his place blows yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, of course. I remember, he finds like her charred phone number was like it's like the one thing that survives the explosion. That's right. I'm like, yeah. come on, like perfectly burned around the edges. Yeah. Um, and so. Then we have, he has a dream where he dreams of having sex with Marla quite, and it uses the same technology as like, um, uh, the, the matrix did. Mm. It, it's, it's the same tech. It's literally the same technology, which think about two oh. more different films to sort of do that with. You got Neo like jumping and like, I know Kung Fu. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, uh, Brad Pitt and, um, Bella of a Trix Lestrange, um, doing, you know, some Slytherin magic of their own in this bedroom. And uh, so the, they weren't really naked. They were in motion capture bodysuits. But the, maybe the most fun piece of research I found was that Brad Pitt and uh, – oh, what's her name? Marla. No, oh, yeah. Helena Bottom Carter. Helena Bottom Carter spent three whole days recording sex sounds. 
that they can use throughout the film so it would never repeat. So they just like, like, can you imagine? Like the first 10 minutes, maybe you're feeling kind of awkward. But then after that, can you just imagine just like the stuff that must have got cut on the, on, on the, because it would have to go to a silly place at some point, wouldn't it? Three days. Three days recording sex dialogue. How do you need three days just to record like shouts and moans? So now make sure we get it done right, I guess. That is crazy. And then in the morning of what happens, Marla is goes downstairs and sees the narrator and he goes, What are you doing here? And she swears at him and like leaves. And of course, once you've seen it, you know why she's so offended. At the time you're like, these two just really I'm just going, these two really hate each other. That's all it is. Yeah. Oh, I wish they'd be friends. This is awkward. He's the guy sitting there. I'm sitting there going, I've been that guy. I'm the narrator. I've been that guy. The friend's got, a, you know, got, got, got the girl, and I'm sitting there going in the morning going, hey, dude, you all right? I'm the Chandler Bing. I'm not the Joey. I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we go back to reality or not, and we get how this happened, and we see the example of how Tyler saves Marla. And can I just say how much I loved Brad Pitt playing with nunchucks in the background during the phone call oh, scene? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like ah. he's just dancing around with these like talk about the 30 year old like like boy child it's it's definitely brad pitt in in, in that scene do you know what it reminded me of once upon a time in hollywood when he plays the character the stuntman in that mm-hmm. um you can kind of see him doing all the moves and stuff a little bit yeah actually <laughs> do you know what i mean you can imagine him doing it like in that film you could x amount of years later in his later. super cool leather jacket yeah. Yeah, hanging out with Bruce Lee in that one. That'll be great. <laughs> and so we have like this little like um cut scene or montage of their carnal sort of relationship and it ends with the two of them lying down on the bed and how on the bottom Carter says, "I haven't been f- that since grade school." <laughs> That was not the first line. The first line written was, um, I think, I think something like, I think I'm, I'm about, to, I, I think I'm going to have your abortion or something like that was the original line. And, oh, wow. and the uh, Fox 2000 president said, no, you're cutting that. And he went, no, I'm not cutting that. They went, no, you're cutting that. They went, no, I'm not cutting that. And the deal that was struck was fine. I will rewrite that. But whatever I rewrite is 100% in. The rewrite is so oh. much funnier. And so the rewrite, they went, no, 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 go go back to the first line. He's like, no, 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 this one's in. And Why would you want the first line over that one? Well, I think well, he didn't have both of them when he wrote the first one, did he? He just wrote that and went, that's the line. And then in trying to come up with a replacement, he comes up with line number two. So uh, Helena Bottom Carter did not know what grade school meant. Because <laughs> grade school means like elementary school. Mm. Yeah. So, like, it's like a whole nother level of, like, depravity I'll be to honest, this thing. I probably didn't the first time around. Yeah. But seeing so many Americanized yeah. films since then, you, you pick up on stuff. So grade school would end at, like, it's like key stage three. Key stage three is, like, the end. So, like, it's, like, grade eight for, for, for North American listeners. Key stage three yeah. for, for British listeners. Oh, well, so that's like, better than I thought it was then. Yeah. So it is, like, a fat, but it is a foul line. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, like, how damaged is this girl? This explains it. Yeah. Um, and so Tyler, at this point, goes up to the narrator and says, don't you ever talk about me. And this is the only way we can excuse this away. 
we it doesn't explain why she doesn't call him Tyler until we've already discovered who she is. Because they don't really talk. Because well, because once the audience know he's Tyler, she tells him Tyler all the bloody time. That's true. But that's the out. And then at one point, he like the narrator like goes and there's this carnal again, um, which actually it seems less messed up if you consider he is Tyler. So when he tries to watch them having sex, you're like, it's not that perverted because it is him. Yeah. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And but then Tyler shows up naked, but wearing like a yellow, like dishwashing glove or something like that. That is grim. And just goes, do you <laughs> want to finish Golden. her off as she falls off the bed? I'm like, oh, this is foul. But again... Again, it's one of those. Made me laugh. It's one of those things where if you go, it's the same person. You're going, okay, that is moderately better. But think of that yeah. from her perspective. <laughs> What's going on in her world there? Well, the question is, does she hear? Yeah, like who's how? That, that's the question you have to ask. This at question because we'll that never point, get. Does, at that point, she does turn around and say, "Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Yeah, yeah." Because yeah. yeah. the question's got to be when we see them talking and doing things how which character are they able to hear is it one is it both because we're never going to get the answer to that so obviously sometimes she hears brad pitt's version of the character sometimes she hears ed norton's version of the character mm-hmm. also um i'm not 100 sure on this but i'm pretty sure most of it brad pitt and ed norton aren't in the same place together when she's there i think one of them no. brad will go out and she'll speak to him. Then he'll come back in and vice versa. I don't think the three of them are ever in the same shot together. No, they're not. Because what you'll ha- you will have, she will storm out of the house and then Brad Pitt comes into the scene yeah. from a different, it's, yeah. like, it's, it's seamless. It's just, yeah. what, it's just in that particular scene with the, with the Marigold that, I mean, they're not actually in the same camera shot together, but they're sort of kind of in, all involved in the same conversation without one of them trying to hush their voice yeah. or something. Because when you've yeah, got the bit when, it's... when you've got the bit when he, Brad's in the basement and, Ed's upstairs. She's kind of out of the way of them. But Brad Pitt's lines were all whispered. Whereas this one, they're actually having an open conversation. I've got another great Marla quote here from like, really like you could like have sold a coffee table book with like Marla's quips on life. Was it from Ikea? The coffee. Well, n- not if you're going to have Marla's quotes in it. No. Oh. She says the condom is the glass slipper of our own generation because you can slip it off, dance all night. And then in the morning you just get rid of it. And she goes, and it's kind of a sweet damage moment. She goes, I mean, the condom, not not you. And yeah. is this when he goes over to her house and he's like, she calls him because she thinks she's got a lump on her breast? I think this is it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Oh, no, that's later. Sorry, I've got it later. So this is where the whole time he, then all of a sudden she leaves the room and then Tyler comes in and says, get rid of her and don't talk about me. And so he's so convinced because there's a weird kind of – in the book, there's a bit more of a sexual energy between the narrator and Tyler. And there's a little bit of it here where you're wondering who is he jealous of in this love triangle? Is he jealous of Marla or is he jealous of Tyler? Oh, I did wonder that a little bit. Like, Not yeah. for very long. Back but... to like watching him bathe and stuff like that. There's a bit of a weird energy mm. at times. I don't know whether I, I don't know if it, maybe it didn't come across so much as sexual, but just kind of a jealousy that he was his companion kind of thing. Yeah. But okay. yeah, it did, did come across a little bit. Now talking about some bad companionship behavior, Georgia, I'm really curious to get your take on this and Ellie too. It's, it's the soap making scene. 
So going and getting the fat for the soap and then making the soap itself. So I cringed. What was harder for what was harder for me was them getting the soap. So I was them getting the fat out of the oh, dumpsters. Yeah. Absolutely. That didn't bother me much at all. I oh, think when it was like one of the most interesting. Oh, really? When it snagged on the, the like barbed wire and it was like yeah. spilling out, I'm like, oh. That, it was that's bad. Like the funniest bit in the film. Oh, it's gross. It's bad enough. You know, the bit that really got me before that was when when Brad Pitt throws the the bag of the fat towards yeah. Ed, Ed Norton and he just kind of catches it. and It all kind of like. It kind of squelches to it. Yeah, and it's like it's kind of collapsing in between his arms, and and then it snags. Even even when the one snags and it leaks, and it's like, we'll just get another one. And I'm like, oh, this is revolting. And And then when Brad's trying to like catch it, when it's it's been snagged on the barbed wire, and he puts his hands underneath it, like he's going to do something with this little reservoir in his hands. Like, what are you going to do? It's disgusting. Okay, so George, you didn't have much of an issue with that. How did you find the chemical burn scene? Um... Like, not not that bad. I, this film just doesn't resonate with me, honestly. Okay. It, I find it... There's too long between the bits that matter for them to feel like they matter anymore. Okay. Like, it's just too drawn out. So it doesn't have much of an impact because you kind of go, oh, an interesting bit, but in, the, in two minutes when it's over, you're going to have to wait ten minutes for the next bit that actually makes you watch the film. So like an ADHD generation, man. Liam, on the other end of the spectrum, how do you find the chemical burn scene? Uh, I didn't like. I didn't like seeing it. I didn't like seeing it bubble. Mm. I, I could have handled it more, just hearing the noise and him go, reacting to it. But actually seeing it, I, uh, ugh, I don't. I don't do well with stuff like that. Yeah. I think anything you... that bubbles and gloops and. Ugh. I think if yeah. you don't see the bubbling, you don't really understand just how painful it is and how it's actually like searing into his skin. Um, I think just with the description, it wouldn't come across as well. No, but... I get that. I get that. And that did make me squirm. Yeah, so it did me as well. I it think, did its job. I, I, think, I think what's happened with me as well recently is I've recently watched a couple of YouTube videos, just like one of the people I watch makes soap, like tries to follow soap tutorials. And obviously they don't use human fat, but they use like oil and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware of like what lye water can do and like the chemical burns that soap making can cause if you don't do it properly. So to me, it was just kind of going, huh, yeah, that's funny. And then I was thinking about the soap video I'd watched. Rather than the film. Well, of course, it all ends with uh, the boys, as, as, as is put, selling women their own fat asses back to them. I really enjoyed that Which line. Is a brilliant 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 pay for that i think that's why i like it quite so much and i think again it's it's part of the evils of like this thing really comes down hard on like 1990s consumerist society you know the the, the liposuction you do in order order to be beautiful and then the 20 artisan soap well guess what it's the same disgusting thing you just had pulled we're actually we're literally selling you you know you 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 sold us to take it away (laughs) and now we're selling it back to you on 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 the back end pun not intended but i'll but i'll but I'll, but, but I'll, i'll take it yeah. Um, selling it as a liquid and selling it back as a solid. Exactly. <laughs> and this is where Marla has her breast cancer scare. And he goes over and checks her in a really kind of tender moment. And the whole time, you can tell that um, the narrator is trying to figure out, does she like me? Does she not like me? Because he's infatuated with everybody who doesn't seem to want him back. He's infatuated with Tyler. He's infatuated with Marla. But at the same time, he doesn't want Marla because she's damaged. And he's not really sure what 
to make it hotter because he's well, nuts. Uh, and then Bob returns. He finds Bob on the street and says, oh, you're still going to the group? He goes, I found something better than the group. <laughs> and basically, like Bob's a bad member of Fight Club because Bob will like break every rule, bless him. And you know what? Like, and you know, not at one point do I look at him and go, Meatloaf. No, he's so good. I a great bit of acting by him. That's a great point because I noticed no, that when he I first shows up. I didn't see Meatloaf. I saw Bob. In the first scene, I go, oh, it's Meatloaf. And then it's just Bob. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, and then we start to sow seeds of dissension because Bob goes, is it true what they said about the man who started it? Is it true whatever? Do you know Tyler Durden? And you can see him kind of go, ooh, I don't, I don't come on me there. I don't like that. Yeah. And uh, there was a great speech where Brad Pitt refers to the current generation as the middle children of history. We've been raised by television to think we're all movie stars, which is rich coming from Brad Pitt's mouth, and rock gods. Yeah. And when he says rock gods, he looks at Angel Face is the character's name. The blonde guy, his name is Angel Face. <laughs> and it's played by Jared Leto of 30 Seconds to Mars, yeah. who would later go on to yeah, play the, the, the Joker, of course, of Suicide Squad fame. But it's interesting that when movie stars was him, of course, and rock gods was looked at the musician in the group. Yeah. And then we get um, a really disturbing fight scene between Lou, who owns the bar, and Tyler. And Tyler just keeps antagonizing Lou to beat him up and beat him up and beat him up. And he becomes more and more and more deranged and bleeds on him. And I guess we're supposed to believe, well, it's going to have to be. It would have to be the, the, the narrator who actually does this in, 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 real, in real life, I say. But in what actually yeah. happened in the film, it's got to be that. But just deranged, and he's just too scared by how unhinged this character is that he lets them stay in, in the basement. And they're told, your homework this week is you have to go ahead, pick a fight, and lose. And easily, <laughs> the best version of this is the guy who eggs on the fight with the priest. <laughs> when he first sprays him with the hose, if you notice, the camera jiggles just a bit because the cameraman couldn't keep it together. <laughs> <laughs> I love the bit where the where the Bible falls on the floor and he just points the hose at the Bible well, instead. He doesn't just fall on the floor, he like smacks the oh, Bible okay, out yeah. of his hands and then like soaks it like and so the irony is that it's the priest over everybody else who actually like fights back. Like he's not good at it. He starts off running away, doesn't he? And then yeah. the more it goes on he starts kind of running back up to him and throwing a little punch and then kind of weaving away again. And so then we cut to a scene where um, the narrator is going to speak to his boss, who's a jerk, and says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to give me all my pay every week, and you're going to give me airline tickets, and that's it. And I'm not going to tell him about these things I know. And he goes, no, I'm going to get rid of you. And he phones security, and then he proceeds to beat himself up. And he throws himself into the glass coffee table and, throw, and punches himself in the face. Mm -hmm. And just before he goes and lands on the bookcase, he throws himself into the bookcase. It freeze frames and it says, I don't know why, but in this moment, for some reason, I thought of my first fight with Tyler. <laughs> well, of course you did. Because your first fight with Tyler, you beat yourself up. That's really funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And so the, with the money they get as he leaves with his like, like old school like computer electronics and that that fifty six k modem that you know he's like he's like so proud. I'm like man, if you did this three years later, you would have like high speed man. Yeah. Where it yeah. really gives away that the film's dated. It does. It? it does feel dated. In that not really, you don't really notice it for the rest of the film. I don't think. I don't think there's any kind of massive um, references to the to the time frame. But exactly. That is yeah. 
And this is where we start with uh, new homework in sealed envelopes. And it seems to be an attack on commercialism. I know I saw an Apple store with the old like mo- like multicolored Apple logo on the thing. And it, that yeah. blows up. And there are some other things they were going to get rid of. Uh, and then there was a scene with Raymond where they go and they take Raymond out of the convenience store. And they put the gun at the back mm-hmm. of his head. And they ask him, what do they want to do? Or um, how do you want to – what were your dreams? Do you really want to just be – a convenience store clerk. He says, no, I want to be a vet. And then he takes the gun away from his head and says, fine, in six weeks, if you haven't started being a vet yet, I'll come back and kill you because I know where you live. And Ed Norton's going, why would you do that? And he says, tomorrow, his breakfast will taste better than any meal he's ever had. And that moment, we're all going, he's a bit of a genius. Like, he's, yeah. he, he's unhinged. Yeah. But as far as, a, you can understand how this character might think he's a motivator. Mm. <laughs> he's just making someone part of the Not breakfast you a club because his whole justification is always isn't your life better for my influence in it this is kind of a recurrent theme and then we go back to Marla and the narrator and he asks if she still goes to the groups and she goes no but did you know that Chloe died and he goes oh it's a shame and she goes is it do you really mean that and again it's attack on kind of those things that we just say and he goes, oh, actually, you know what? I haven't really thought about it that much. That's kind of a good point. And it was long enough for us that even as the audience, you can probably go, I don't really remember exactly what Chloe looks like. I just saw her once. And she was rushed off the screen, much like she's rushed off the platform. And I'm not supposed to think about her anymore. And so the narrator asks Marla, what do you want to get out of this? And she asks him, well, sorry, what do you get out of this? And she goes, well, what do you get out of this? And this is where I might think now if I watched, I'd be going, okay, I'm, I'm figuring this out. Um, and it's interesting because then he opens up the door, he being the narrator, and Tyler's in the basement and said, you're talking about me. He's like, I'm not talking about you. You're talking about me. I'm not talking about you. And then he goes, this, and then he responds with this conversation conversation is over is over and he shuts it down and he's clearly just so either he's just a slave to tyler durden or maybe you're starting to go okay now like i said i watched it i totally didn't get it but my argument is that i wasn't trained to look for it no exactly yeah and this is when the bunk beds start showing up and it seems like tyler's building an army and you're supposed to stand on the front porch for three days and not do anything and then eventually they'll let you in and then you insult the next person. And so the first guy kind of gets it automatically. Bob shows up. And they're like, <laughs> you're too fat and old. Go home, old man. And Bob's like, oh, all right. And then the writer has to go, no, no, Bob. It's not. It's not. He's going to stand there. It's going to be okay. I love Bob. It's even Bob funnier great. when you realize that actually it, it can't have been Brad Pitt that said, oh, said that he was point. too old yeah. in the first place. So oh. from Bob's perspective, you've got Ed Norton coming up that to him also, and going, you're too old. That also, Wait, come back. That also would have broken his heart then too because he's known, oh, yeah. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> and we have the message that you are not special and why is he building an army? And then all of a sudden it turns into Project Mayhem. And we find out they've blown up parts of a building with a smiley face. And we find out the first rule of Project Mayhem, not Fight Club now, the first rule of Project Mayhem is you don't ask questions. Which I might start as a tagline for, for, for my classes when I'm teaching a lesson. Someone wants, no, my first rule of Project Mayhem is you do not ask questions. And then we have, the, there's, there's a task force that's going to be assigned to take down the Fight Club. 
Well, of course, we know that they're all got jobs as waiters and they crash some like white tie event and they find the guy who's the chief of police, I guess, and say, you are going to say that you have are not going to do that, that everybody is safe or else we are going to castrate you, basically, is what they're threatened with. This scene was really interesting, actually, because you've got um, the narrator at the back without a mask on and also Tyler Durden at the front without a mask on. Yeah. But you've, you never see... Um, you never see Ed Norton from the eyes of the whatever the, the guys that they're attacking. No, because you need that for the reveal scene later on. Because they do yeah. show that shot later on. Yeah, yeah. But you just see Brad Pitt's face, and then I suppose Ed Norton is supposed to be further standing further back, but directly behind Brad Pitt. Yep. So, um, and then at the next fight, we, we, we cut, we have a fight, because... When this is over and the mission's accomplished, we see Tyler like grab Jared Leto's character by the face and like is like really enthusiastically praising him. And then the next scene, we have the narrator and we have Jared Leto and they're fighting. And Jared Leto's character, Angel Face, is so smiley, like he's just really happy to be doing this fight. And in the moment, you think he's being a competitive, cocky little git, don't you? You're like, he's rubbing it in that he's being chosen. Now, if you think about what it really is, he's just honored to be fighting the leader. Yeah. And Ed Norton beats the crap out of him. I found this scene and really difficult stop. to watch. And doesn't stop. And the rule's supposed to be when the fight's over, you stop. When they go limp, you stop. But yeah. no one, and it gets really quiet, and no one says anything. And then Brad Pitt, as the Tyler Durden character, says, get him to the hospital. And they go out, and it clearly is that. But because if you know now, but Norton's the leader, like no one's calling him out on it. They, they, there must be a reason for mm. it. Mm. And then we cut out to the outside, and the car stops in front of them, and it says "airport parking long term." Uh, for you, Mister Durden, and the guy's not looking at Tyler. The guy's looking no. at Ed Norton, and yeah. he looks around. He goes after you, and he goes, "No, no." After you, and they both get in the car. And then they have the confrontation in the car where, like, Brad Pitt's going to let it, like, veer into traffic and then off the road. And does the similar thing. What do you want to do before you die? And the one guy's like, paint a, self pure, uh, paint a self-portrait. Build a house. And then like, they have these answers ready to go. And Norton doesn't have anything. He's just like, no, no, no. And they finally let the car go off the road and crash. And uh, then wake up in the morning, and Tyler is gone. How do you explain that car scene? Um, you explain the car scene by going, Ed Norton would have been driving. No one gets in the passenger seat because out of respect, they always let him sit in the front by himself. Yeah. But who is he talking to? You have to consider a lot of this would be inner monologue. And so he might have just been quiet on the front seat. So just driving like a maniac in silence. Well, he might have been saying, strap up, boys. Here we go. Let's see how much certain lines would count and certain ones yeah. won't. Okay. But to signpost it to that degree means you don't get any twist. It just yeah. it just signposts it. Um, Tyler's gone. We don't know where he is. But it's like it's like a compound in the basement. And people working 24 hours a day until a whole bunch of noise happens. Uh, Mark. Marla shows up just before that, asks for Tyler. He says, Tyler's gone. She gets upset and leaves. And then we get a commotion. And we find out Bob's dead. And they're like, bury the evidence. And he's like, no, he's a person. His name is Robert Paulson. And they go, but we don't get names. No, no, this guy, his name's Robert Paulson. They go, so they go, oh, well, that means in death you get a name. And so they all start chanting, his name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. And so we then go on a stream of 
the narrator trying to track down Tyler and seems to always miss him, but also seems to always find himself naturally gravitating to places where there are other Fight Club chapters. And it's Tyler had been busy setting up franchises. And it's interesting because the word franchise was used in the bathtub by Tyler earlier in the film. Mm. Uh, Was I his bad dream or was he mine? And then we cut to a bar and in the kitchen we hear of a staff going, his name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. You're going, oh. And then we find out, but they call, this is guy in like, what do you call those things? The halos? Is that what you call it? A halo? I don't know. He had like a ring with like. I thought it was like a neck brace. No, no. Oh. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm sure it's called a halo. Is it? We'd call it like a neck neck brace. Oh, would you? Because a neck like brace, head brace, a neck brace would be like head. would be like the solid piece here. But when it comes ring, ring, and then connected with wires, I'm sure it's a halo. Oh, okay. My mate had that after I can a car see, crash. I can see a halo. Oh, geez. Okay, me singing halo afterwards seems a little <laughs> unsympathetic. Yeah, maybe cut that. <laughs> well, I apologize. I think it's well, except for now that I say I apologize. So, it would have been, been called. Yeah, it's, it is called a halo. I think they missed a trick halo with brace. the. Uh, with uh, Bob's name. They okay. should have called him um, Meatloaf's real name. Which is? Marvin Lear Day. Okay. Maybe it's just their desire to keep it as fictional. So people, hey, it's his real name. And kind of oh, okay. rips yeah, him yeah. out maybe. I don't know. I hear you though. Yeah. Um, and so he goes ahead and he's called. Finally, the guy at the bar says, I'm not supposed to tell you. Is this a test? It's not a test. Are you sure it's a test? Okay. Well, it's you, Tyler. And he goes, what? And so he gets on the phone and phones up Marla and says, have we ever had sex? And finally says, say my name. Say my name. When no one is around you, say, baby, I love you. And she calls him Tyler. And uh, he's thrown. It's this big moment. And then all of a sudden, in comes shaved head Brad Pitt with a fur coat, who looks nowhere near as cool as earlier in the film Brad Pitt. (laughs) No, this is not this is not the look I was chasing. This is like no <laughs> yuck. What is this? I want my red leather jacket guy back again. But maybe it's because at this point he he is the villain now of the piece, so they have to distinguish him. And he looks like I don't know. He looks like a bad pimp. Yeah, he does. I was going to say he looks like a pimp. Not yeah. that there's good pimp. Well, I don't think there's good pimps, but he looks like a especially bad pimp here. Um, and he asks, "Why do people think I'm you?" And he says, "Well, put it together." And he finally goes. We're the same person. And then we have that scene of all these key moments in the film, but you take Brad Pitt out of it. So he's fighting by himself in the car park that first night. He's uh, burning his own hand with no one else around him. He's the one having sex with Marla. And then he's the one who's attacking the guy in the restaurant. So we've had all these moments relived. And the same technique was used in Joker. When we find out that she's the, the, the girlfriend's not real. Yeah. We see that same technique. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, they're just doing a fight club, aren't they? So as much as that was cool, I was like, yeah, I know where you've borrowed this from. Yeah, but I saw Joker first. Yeah, so. that's true. It was good. Uh, and so then he um, runs downstairs. He's going to leave. And the woman from the desk stops him and says, you got to sign off on all these phone calls you made. And we found out that he's blacking out and making all these phone calls for all these big plans that he can't remember. So he's like, I got to warn people. So he tries to warn a bunch of people. He tries phoning the building and he finds out they're all at the building. Everybody is one of one of his people now. Everybody's Project Mayhem. So he goes to the cops and says the plan. What's the plan? The plan is you know, we're going to do this and we're going to blow up all the credit card buildings. And that erases everybody's debt. And I'm going, I know it's 1999. 
I'm not sure blowing up the credit card buildings in one city eliminates everybody's debt. But they've got no. fight clubs all over the U.S., haven't they? Yes, but they're not like at the same level. They're not Project Mayhem's yet. Because oh, they okay. even ask, in Miami, is it true that he's setting up an army? Oh, yeah, that's right? true. So, but this is the idea that all of a sudden now it's back to one city's all that matters. And if you blow up these buildings, everybody's equal. And I'm like, I still think you'd have some sort of computer. Like, there's still the internet mm. in 1999. Yeah. I think you can see the difference between a book that was probably thought of in 94, written and put out in 96, and the mm. film gets made in 99. Because you wouldn't be able to put that out today. People would be going, well, it's just, it'd be all online, wouldn't it? Yeah. You'd have to go into, yeah. like, some other city and blow it up there or something. Um, and so this is when we find out two of the cops or three, three of the cops are his people as well. Uh, he grabs a gun to escape before they castrate him because they said, you said you'd say that. Well, I want you to let me go. They said, you said you'd say that too. Well, you can let me go. You said you'd say that. (laughs) So he grabs the gun. He escapes. Um, and he runs and goes without his trousers. He runs to 1888 Franklin where he finds the van, and the van's got the bomb in it, and there's Brad Pitt's sort of vision of him shows up, and they basically do like that old which wire do I cut scene from a million movies. Yeah. And he goes, well, hang on. If you know, then I know. And Tyler goes, well, maybe I've just been thinking of the wrong wire, so you cut the wrong wire. Well, of course, he pulls out the right wire, but then Brad Pitt like beats him up, and this becomes a really strange fight scene because what's your take on it georgia is it comical is it exciting is it both because we keep having cut to shots of the security footage of watching ed norton beat himself up in between our choreographed fight scene of brad pitt and ed norton so you'd have to believe he's like slamming his own head into like the ticket machine the bits of it bits of it are good um but they the like that you actually see between the two of them is too much for you to believe that it would be one person doing that by themselves like he drags himself out from underneath the car like that's not possible you can't physically move like that that's like horror film level of yeah. possession then at that point and you kind of go no don't go that far just make it look like a fight that could be done by yourself and then mm. i might believe it a bit more yeah. but they just take that side of it too far and show you only the bits that are possible and you kind of go well that just that ruins it because that's not possible at that point i mean there's a shot where like if you imagine like like if i grabbed liam by the collar of his shirt and dragged him up like this little i don't know this little stretch and so his feet are moving that makes sense if i'm dragging you but the idea of it liam but you can sort of like just lift your shoulders and move your legs and move back in that same way i was going yeah. that did yeah. feel yeah. like like bad horror movie like george is talking about i think yeah yeah and so um that's that and then we cut back to this is it and we're at the big this is it at the beginning and it's funny because they're the beginning of the film so it was literal and he goes anything you want to say and he goes i still can't think of anything and i'm like he didn't say that at the start he said i can't think of anything i still can't think yeah and then you hear tyler Durden go ah flashback humor clever <laughs> and I'm going, oh, the movie's acknowledging its own. I like it when it gets meta. I do. There wasn't yeah. a lot of it throughout the film, but I appreciated it here. I was all right with it. I didn't hear Tyler Durden say flashback humor. And yeah. I, but I found it really funny without that. Okay. And I'm kind of disappointed that it has that line in it. <laughs> Why? Because I, I found it funny on its own. 
Wait, so you're sitting here going, I'm up, even though I didn't hear of a line, I'm upset because the line that I didn't hear you think would have theoretically made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I it's heard like both lines. I think it's better. Well, it's like you telling yeah. me off for explaining a joke. No, because the first ones you're going, did he really say that earlier? And then you go, oh, flashback, humor, clever. And now both characters are in on it, which I thought, and they're both the same guy, which I think is, is, is brilliant. If it was two separate characters, then maybe not, but they're both the same character. Uh, and then we have the debate. We've had the fist fight. Here comes the debate. And Tyler goes, have I ever let you down? Is your life not better for me being around? And you're going, Phew. and maybe that's the question. Is his life not better for him being around? Define better. Yeah. Oh, he's rich. He's not, he's, he doesn't have to go to work. Yeah. He's with, yeah, a, but like he's, he's with a girl I think he was into. Himself. Yeah, he is torturing and, people. Yeah. And he's got burns and he's constantly like injured and yeah, nah. And it's a glorification of violence and it's just not good. And then he goes, Ed Norton's character goes, but the gun's not in your hand. The gun's in my hand. And of course the gun has to be in his hand because that's the way this whole yeah. thing would work. And he goes to shoot himself. He goes, what are you going to do? And he goes, you're going to shoot yourself in the head? He says, no, I'm going to shoot us in the head. And then he says, look, my eyes are open. And he shoots himself in the cheek. And the cheek kind of like splatters all the way around. And apparently, though, it shoots Tyler Durden in the back of the head. But okay. Yeah, I, I don't understand that. I can, I li- get that. I can cool. live with that. The idea that you shoot yourself, he dies, fine. Uh, but then Marla but He could have gets- just shot himself like in the hand or in the foot if all it takes is a gunshot and it would actually go in the back yeah. of his head. Well, then Marla, who we put on a bus earlier in the film we didn't talk about, now is brought up by the Project Mayhem goons. And they go, you've been shot. And he's like, I'm fine. He's like, I'm fine. And then after about 60 seconds, it's like he's the guy from Terminator 2 who, like, self-heals. Or, like, yeah. Deadpool. Because, like, he's, like, got, like, his, like, nuance in his, like, cadence back before too long. Yeah. But he goes, everything's going to be fine. You just met me at a really strange time in my life. And the buildings are blowing up all around him and crashing. And they stand together hand in hand. And they make their silhouettes make like a heart as it's going down. And then we get one frame of a penis. And then the film ends as the pixies. I completely missed that frame of penis. (laughs) As the pixies, where is my mind, is the closing song, which is a great choice, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and very of its time as well. Yeah, very of its time. And that's that. And it, it, what happens here is, if you've noticed, after he shoots himself, he's not the Ed Norton character that we've seen the whole film, and he's not Tyler Durden as we've seen from Brad Pitt. There's a middle right. ground between the two, where like the duality of who he is, that bit where you where you almost have like a multiple personality jumping from one to the other, that's been dissolved, and the two of them have come together. And he's like a more middle ground version of the sociopath that he is. But it's a middle ground yeah. version of it where he's no longer going to gap out, we theorize. Now, that is different from the way it went in the book. In the book, he ends up in a mental institution. And, oh, really? Ty- and Tyler continues to like torment him. The theory was the book was too in love with Tyler. And we needed to see Ed Norton's character win in the end. And so they rewrote the ending so it came out like this. So, uh, personally, I'd like to have seen him die too. 
and that was him making peace with the way of getting rid of everything. It's, I didn't like to see him survive. It's, it's, it's a more haunting ending because he survives, isn't it? I would like to see him yeah, end up in a mental institution like in the book. It just didn't feel right. The whole ending didn't feel right. I, I'd like to have him made that peace. You know when he says, would you make peace with your death? You know, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I'd like to have him to have gone, yeah, I have. To yeah. get rid of you, I will get rid of myself. Do you know what I mean? That would have been a better ending for me. Yeah. Yeah, because it is explored um, with other characters. I like point. it this way, but maybe that's our poll for next time. How would you have preferred to see Fight Club end? Would yeah. you Would you have rather uh, Mental Institution? Would you have rather he sacrificed himself? Or did you like the ending that we had? There's a nice little three-parter. Um. Yeah, so um, that's kind of where we sit with Fight Club, a, a film very much of its time, the 90s, the turn of a 20, into the 21st century, a lot of disenfranchisement with big business and the way corporations were. Could you make Fight Club today? You could, but that wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have the same gravity it had back then. Certain things you can get away with at certain times in life like certain movies could only be made in the 60s certain movies can only be made now um and so forth i mean it's as as we move further on i mean i know what i'm trying to say but it's not really coming (laughs) the thing that i liked about brad pitt in this part is that he he was a pretty boy but also um he had the the strength Mm mm-hmm to pull off a character and you need someone who's got strength but also a bit of a pretty boy so let's go around the circle we'll do the usual thing Liam, Georgia, Ellie um, who's your favourite character in the film or, was, or, well, or, or or best performance or you can say both I really liked Meatloaf as Bob um, only because I didn't see Meatloaf for much of that movie the part he was playing um, I saw Bob I, I saw Meatloaf turn into Bob. I didn't, which was great because he's such a big character anyway um, in real life, Meatloaf. So to see him disappear into a character was really good. Uh, but he's not my favourite favourite. Okay. My favourite favourite is Helena Bonham Carter. Ah, oh, very good. Because I've never, ever found that woman attractive in any movie but this one. Actually, it was a really interesting story. She made her makeup artist put on her makeup left-handed, <laughs> even though her makeup oh, artist really? is not left-handed, because she went, I don't think Marla would look like she's got herself that well put together, and so she'd be bad at putting on makeup. Yeah. So please put it on left-hand. So it still looks looks all right, but it's not glamorous. Yeah. So that was an interesting choice. But interesting idea. The idea, I've, actually, I'm right there with you. I've never seen Helena Bottom Carter and thought, oh, that's an attractive woman. Not really. No. But she no. was, it's weird, because she's so damaged. But I'm like, yeah, you probably are your most attractive here. Oh, I know. Even though she looks a mess. I just said she's damaged. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, but she looks a mess as well. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I find her less intimidating. Like, oh, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Because maybe. she plays very strong female characters, like, all the time. And, and she's not really kooky in this, where she's kooky no, in a lot of things. she is kooky I mean? in a lot of things. She's very straight-laced in this. Yeah. This you is know, straight-laced. Very, well, you know what I mean. He, she, she's not plain weird and wonderful. She's at least not not past the initial meeting. Yeah, like when she goes and steals the clothes and then sells them. You're like, oh, you wacky girl, you. Just, yeah, but even that's not too wacky when you know Helen the Bomb. Yeah, it doesn't come across as like comedic, like a lot of her. No, other it's parts. dark. It's no, dark. It yeah. No. All right, Georgia, you, 
your call. Favorite character or performance? Well, just kind of following on from that, yeah, um, Helena Bonham Carter in this is really, really good. I think it's probably one of the only times I've seen her in a film where I've been able to forget that it's Helena Bonham Carter. Like, a lot of the time you're like, oh, yeah, it's her. Like, because she is so iconic and so unique that you kind of go, oh, I know who that is. And she's often playing, like we've said, quite similar roles. But because this one is so different and she does it so well, you go, oh, actually, no, that's that's really, really well done. So I'd go with I'd go with her. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Helen and Bonham Carter. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go off. The, anyway, I, I mean, you guys have all hit the groups. I, I love meatloaf in this. And in order for in order in a movie that's so cold and cynical to work, you had to have someone with warmth and someone with warmth whose death would mean something when it happened. And you got that with Meatloaf. Now, I have seen Meatloaf in two other films and did not connect with him really in either of those two films. What else is he in? There's the question. Can you guess whatever two films I've seen Meatloaf in? Uh, He did a film called Black Dog. Nope. With. Patrick Swayze. Nope. Um, he did Rocky Horror. He, Rocky Horror Picture Show is one of them. Yeah, as Eddie. And the other one, he was a bus driver. Power to the world. Every boy and every girl. People of the world. I've never seen it. Uh, you haven't seen Spice World? No, I've never he seen it. He plays the bus driver in Spice World. And he is so terrible in it. But he is, yeah, he's just there as a cameo. I mean, basically, it's, yeah. that's when you go, ah, oh, it's Meatloaf, it's Meatloaf. Yeah, yeah. The opposite of this. And he's so good in this, but he's not the he's one I'm going to call. In I think he's important, though. I'm going to give it to Ed Norton. I think yeah. in order for this twist to work, in order for the whole film to work, Ed Norton has to be putting on, and uh, say what you will about the guy's personality, apparently he's very difficult, the guy can act. The guy yeah, can yeah. absolutely act, and he has to play a straight man against so many bizarre situations. And then we have to see him grow into something more than he is, and then we have to see him rebel and almost regress back into his old personality. And then we have to have him like mesh like halfway through between the two characters for the end, he just gets what he needs to be at the time he needs to be it, and the movie hinges on his performance. I do wonder sometimes if I watch the same film as you, especially when reviewing this, because to me, he just seemed like he was grumpy the whole film. Like, oh. I, I did not see much nuance at all. Oh, I thought, I thought Norton was so good in this. I, Interesting question. I thought it was great. How much do you think both actors made for this film? Both leads. Probably not much because it wouldn't have been a massive, massive deal. Two million. They broke the bank to get Brad Pitt because they thought they Mm -hmm. needed name value. So Brad Pitt made seventeen and a half million. And remember, the budget's only about sixty. The budget's only about sixty-five. Brad Pitt makes seventeen and a half. How much do you think Norton makes? Half that. Well, your first guess was pretty much bang on. He makes two and a half million for this. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So there's the power of, like, name value in, in, in Hollywood. Yeah, now, Norton would go on to be a big-ish star in Hollywood. He'd never be Brad Pitt. But he would go no. on to do okay for himself. He'd be the original Incredible is Hulk. Not, is that literally not against the, like, entire message of the film? What's that? Like we'll pay loads and loads for something that we think we need because it's got name value, like consumerism. <laughs> if you want to get that yep. specific, yeah, but it's, I guess there's a difference. I mean, how, how ticked off are you if you're the guy who sold the script for $10,000? Yeah, got paid less than Brad Pitt. 
Mm. Got paid less than Ed Norton. <laughs> oh, 10,000. 10,000. Oh, 10, shit. 000, yeah. Not 10 million, 10,000. <laughs> so, uh, is there anybody for whom you'd say this is their best role ever? Potentially Helena Bonham Carter. For me, Helena Bonham Carter. Because I, I, I love her in this. And other films, I don't love her in. I do always love her, to be fair. But I think there's quite a lot of kind of nuanced acting in this. Um, she's also really interesting in The King's Speech because it's oh, just a completely wow. different kind of role and it's very straight. Wow, I'm and that's, on that. that's really, really interesting yeah, to see same. how she, how versatile that. she is as an actress because, she's very wow, you, that now that is a role where you don't realise it's Helena Bonham Carter. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think her best role is in, in, in King's Speech, but she's very, very good here. Yeah. Uh, she's very good in Les Mis, although she's, she's kind of, it's, it's kind of a comic side. It's very good, but it's kind of a comic side kind of. So you know, you, there's not a lot of depth required. But she knows what she does and does it brilliantly. I think Helena yeah. Bottom Carter or HBC, as I will call her from now on in. I think HBC <laughs> gets what her role is and what she needs to do. Yeah. Well, I think if you look yeah. at her in Les Mis compared to Sweeney Todd, it's very similar. She's got that kind of kooky. Yeah, I think I didn't care for her actually so much in Sweeney Todd. But that could have just been the character. I don't. I think. Oh, yeah, I think, it, I think yeah. it is just the character. I think she's very yeah. good at playing that kind of quirky, middle-aged woman I that I think musicals, doesn't quite have a place. I think very rarely in musicals do you see character development like you do in a film because you don't have time to do it. Yeah. I just don't gravitate towards her when she's yeah. playing kooky. I well, just I, don't get it. I hated her in the Harry Potter films because she's just, oh, here's yeah. a, you're a big star? Point your wand over there. She's, yeah. she's Mrs. Lovett again in Harry Potter. It's very, yeah, very similar. It's the same thing. So I think I appreciate these roles where she's different. Yeah. And I, I like do, when she's I do different. love her in those films yeah. as well, but she very much has a type, so it's really interesting to see her out of that type. Um, Ed Norton, Liam? I, I think I prefer American History X. And I know, American History X, hands down. And I prefer 25th Hour, which is a Spike Lee film, which he's fantastic mm-hmm. in. I've never seen that. Oh, it's very American good too. American History X. Oh, my God. That's a powerful film. Powerful, oh. powerful film. Yeah. Uh, timely film, one could argue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? Uh, oh, Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. <laughs> it's not Brad Pitt's best film. No. No. I mean, what else has Brad Pitt been in? Ocean's Eleven. Everything. Ocean yeah. Snatch. He's very good in Snatch. Uh, yeah. Once Upon I a don't Time in. I think I've actually seen Thelma, another film that's got Brad Pitt in. Thelma and Louise. Once Thelma Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mr. Legends of the Smith. Fall. Mister and Mrs. Smith. Burn After Reading. Yeah, I've not seen any of those. Isn't he Benjamin Button as well? Benjamin Button, Interview with a Vampire. Meet Joe Black, which is why he took this film. Oh, Meet Joe Black, that's a good movie. It is, but it did so poorly at the box office, he needed a hit, and he wasn't going to take this film or even read the script. And then David Fincher met him on the set of Meet Joe Black and forced him to more or less read this. And then when it bombed so badly, he knew he needed to get back out there with a hit ASAP and chose this instead. Oh, cool. 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys, yeah. Never seen it, but it's always really, really highly regarded. Um, oh, The Big Short. The Big Short. It's a small part, but he's very good yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. But he's very un-Brad Pitt in it. I suppose he's yeah, older very. in The Big Short, isn't he? Yeah, so he it's, it's perhaps not in his prime, but it's still a very good, oh, Brad Pitt's still really very good. good acting. In fact, I think he has the best scene in that film. So, yeah, so there's lots of stuff. To, I'm really surprised that Brad Pitt's kind of like a blind spot for you. I mean, I, I know his name, but yeah, just I think f- this might be the first film I've actually wow. seen him in. 
I think it's because Brad Pitt's heyday is perhaps a little bit Ooh, like no. early for. He's, he's just won an Oscar this year. <laughs> he's yeah. not washed up. Oh, okay. What's he no. won an Oscar for? Once upon, upon a time, time in Hollywood, <laughs> where he was given equal billing with Leo DiCaprio. Hey, in my defence, I have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, that's okay, but still, you can't but, 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 surely, but surely his main, like the absolute prime and height of his acting career is behind him I don't when he's think got so. the, when he's got more no. lead roles when he's younger no, he will he will start he will if it wasn't the fact he was playing opposite leo he would have the leading role in any film he's gonna have right now i okay. think i think he's gonna go on and be one of these actors he's gone from being the pretty boy to now going into the aged man He's kind of and, doing what Leo did like 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. Leo's looks went earlier than most pretty boys do. Yeah, And Leo, exactly. Leo learned how to act. I think Brad's learning how to act. Exactly, yeah. yeah. He was in and Troy, terrible film. Yeah, I didn't like Troy. Yeah, so he's, he's done a lot, a lot of stuff, but yeah. Um, so, uh, favorite moment, favorite bit of the movie? Uh, my favorite bit of the movie was the sex scene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? I just thought <laughs> the where they have their where she goes. Who are you talking to? Oh, okay. Wow. So when he's sitting there, I like abs, for, he does refer to like you know self improvement and working out as masturbation. And I'm like, when he opens the door, I'm like, you have muscles where I didn't even know you could have muscles. <laughs> Do not tell me yeah. you're not like living at the gym. How is that character yeah. looking like that? He is shredded. But if you go, he's yeah. a figment of Ed Norton's imagination, and it's how he wants to look. Then you've got that yeah. out. Yeah, no. I like that scene because that's the only scene you have them talk with. Yeah, you sort of have the three of them. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Georgia, fair bit? Um, I like once we, well, once um, the, the narrator kind of starts to figure out who he is and who he's become and who he's battling against and trying to fix his problems, um, like that, that struggle I quite like is probably my favourite bit. Okay. Ellie? Um, I'm struggling to pinpoint a specific scene. I mean, maybe that bit on the roof with when he says Tyler's not here because it is that kind of change around in Helena Bonham Carter's character. Um, and you see that kind of vulnerability. Um, but I'm not sure that is actually my favourite scene, but it's one that stands out. But it's also the moment where I sort of became sure that that was the twist uh i'm gonna go with i think it's a really clever script and so the rewatchability when you rewatch it in the second line first and second line you're going oh i see you get to watch this twice and have two very different experiences the first time you watch it and it comes at you and the second time when you appreciate what went into it so i'm gonna go with that side sorry i forgot we could go for favorite thing and not just favorite scene the acting all through this film is my is my favorite thing i thought it was absolutely outstanding yep you do like david fincher though do I? <laughs> David Fincher to Gone Girl. Ah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, little grumble, Liam? Still having stick in your craw? The end? Okay, just, yeah. yeah. Didn't like the end. I, is I'd it, like is to it because the bad him. guy kind of wins? What is it? I'd like to, I just, I just would like to have seen him make that choice. Isn't, like, he, isn't he a victim, though, Liam? Isn't the character as we know him a victim? Yeah. But so, I like, so why does he have to die? Because the choice is, I'm going to make this, I've made my peace with death. 
and I want you to go. And the way I'm going to see it is this is on my terms and this is the way I'm going. Okay. So maybe- it, would have been made, it would have made more sense to me as a viewer than just killing Tyler, Brad Pitt's part, and only shooting through his cheek. That made no sense to me whatsoever. Okay. It just griped with me for some reason. So let's go ahead and say, we won't put up a poll per se, that'll be a spoiler, but we'll say, whose version did you prefer? You prefer Liam's version, which is he sacrifices himself and dies. Yeah. So we'll say Liam's version. We have Ellie's version, which is mental institution. Mm. Georgia, do you have a version at all? Uh, the, the film was about half an hour shorter. <laughs> and then my version, which is as it stands. And get us hold of us on the socials. The socials, Georgia, you want to hit us up with what those are? Uh, we are best film ever pod on instagram and twitter and we are now on facebook as well yeah so go ahead give us a shout out um on that list and we think any of us are getting a hold of us why not go ahead leave us a little review a little five star review or whatever your heart feels but five stars feels right on uh, apple podcasts heck let us know that you gave us a five star review we'll even give you a shout out on the on the podcast next week and say thank you so very much georgia you're a little grumble on the film just unnecessary the whole film it's just yeah it's hold on we live in a society we live in a society where we have to have like detective pikachu films and fight clubs unnecessary well i wouldn't <laughs> argue that detective pikachu is necessary either okay, outs- but- <laughs> outside of eliminating fight club from the public record is there something maybe less wholesale we could tackle on the film just the errors in continuity like if you want me to believe that he's beating himself up make it look believable that he could be doing that to himself like because if not you're just ripping me out of it and i'm not looking back on it and watching it for a second time going oh yeah that's really cool because he's doing that himself and that guy's not really there because it's not believable because it's not possible that it's happening without two people all right let's there just isn't enough genuine continuity in it for me to find it believable or interesting in that way excellent uh ellie um so i've written down three things two of them are the ones that liam and georgia have just said so i found the ending a bit confusing with like why the gunshots didn't line up um and then yet the unrealistic unrealistic fight scene at the end but then also that bit about we mentioned it earlier about the burned phone number around the edges and um how she had the ability to call him like i don't feel like we explained how that's possible and i don't know if i'm just missing something yeah. or is it just sloppy writing no it's 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 just it's called an unre- unreliable narrator so as a result we can't trust anything the narrator tells us and so when the phone number is perfectly preserved for all we know he's got that in his pocket it's not really burns so we take everything that happens there with a massive grain of salt yeah. Okay, so we just which in itself does feel like sloppy writing because you can go, yeah. uh, no, but we told you you can't believe <laughs> to be our fair, narrator. To be fair, wipe me out of all the plot holes. To be, f- you. to be fair, this this is the greatest. No, 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 no. We thought of that. It is. It, it, it's a great out. So it, com- like it covers all manner of sins. Okay, rolling on Twitter before she came transphobic, going, ah, I thought of that. No, you didn't, love. Oh, you mean like <laughs> back when she was like, you know, retroactively changing what the story was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say for my little grumble, it is, uh, I keep saying it, but it, it, it is the pacing. 
It is the pacing. I feel there are moments where I'm right with it. Liam, what's your thought on this? I'm right with it up through the creation of the Fight Club, the Fight Club starting. And then when we start to get a little bit Project Mayhem-y, it starts to slow. Yeah, big time. And I'm like, this could have been trimmed. And then when he finds the reveal, it feels that even overstays its welcome. So, like, if we had done everything the same, but rather than have the scene where he has to fight the cops off, because he goes all the way to the cop station and almost gets hit by the car, and he puts her on the bus, and all that stuff feels like it's just elongating the story. What if he just phoned up the building? That doesn't work. Phones up the cops, and you find out then after he does it, the cops are like coming to the house, and you've noticed it's two of his guys. So the whole thing takes about two minutes rather than 20. Yeah. Like, you don't need the yeah. scene with her in the restaurant where, like, they're like, oh, the food's free. I'm like, you don't need that. And just get no. me to the building for the final fight. As unrealistic as it is, my biggest issue is by the time that happened, I was getting a little bit bored because I was like, once the payoff of you're the same person happens, we should be moving right to your climax. Really now. quickly, yeah. Very because quickly. emotionally, that is the climax. I don't really care about the buildings yeah. blowing up. I care about no. what's going on. <laughs> and once that's resolved, I need the story to end, however that is. Yeah. Get yeah. me through it. You've got 20 minutes on the clock. Get me to a finish line. And they I overstay agree. its welcome. I'd just like yeah, to I say, um, because you always... Um, mock me for thinking that any film over two hours is too long and complaining about the length of films. I actually yes. didn't have a problem with the length of this film at all and I enjoyed all of it. Okay. So, yeah. So, uh, Huzzah. In conclusion, though, uh, George's option of film being half an hour shorter is the correct one yeah. because it, it solves all answers. I, 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 would, I would agree by trimming the, the, the runtime. I thought there was a little bit too much fluff. I did. It just yeah. gets boring in the, in the middle. It really does. I don't know how a film can be so absolutely gripping and at times be a little bit tedious simultaneously so mm. uh, so now it's time for that rating time so Liam where have you put this film I have put it at a seven and a half okay yeah and Georgia because oh sorry first, go ahead the reason being the first time I watched it I was amazed by it the second time I watched it I didn't have the same impact okay didn't have the same gravity to it. And I started seeing flaws. And yeah, so I'm saying seven and a half. This is interesting because I was arguing with someone earlier. But the best time you see this film is the first time. Yeah. And although you appreciate the script the second and third time, the fact that you, you know the answers, I think maybe the dragging that we're talking about might be because it's our, our second or third time watching it. And yeah. I don't know, what's the, is the answer to a great film something you see for the first time, in your opinion? Or is it something you can rewatch? And I think if you're going to call it the best film ever, it has to be rewatchable. And yeah. not that films with big twists can't be rewatchable, because some of them definitely are. The, 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 the Prestige is one that jumps out for sure. Um, there's other ones with Usual big twists. Usual Suspects definitely does. So I think definitely. Seven. So I think these things... Have rewatchability, and therefore, you know, if you if you're not as rewatchable, that's that, that's a bit of an indictment, I think. Mm, yeah. Georgia, your thoughts? I can imagine it's going to be a ten. Absolutely, a ten out of a hundred. Um, <laughs> I just it just doesn't sit well with me. I think it goes too far into the glorification of violence and doesn't do enough to say that it's not on that side of things. Um, because you don't get a full full resurrection of the like the death of the side of him that's doing that 
it feels a bit like just a modern retelling of a bad version of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and it's, I just found it boring in places. I really did. The violence wasn't even Ugh, for me because it was just so un- so unrealistic. Um, I just didn't wasn't bothered by it. Okay, so what what do you give it for a rating? Three out of ten. Wow! That- Whoa. Whoa! I didn't see that coming. Didn't you praise the acting? Was that you or was that you? Which that one was you- me. Okay, that was Ellie. Three, really? Maybe a four. Okay. I, I mean, if you want the three, you can stick with a three. I mean, that's fine. I'm just, I'm just saying. I just found whilst I so was. So you would call this a bad film? Because I think a four, you have to say this is a bad film. It's bad at what it tries to do. Yeah. Okay. I Fair think enough. it's trying to be a um, like anti-consumerism, anti-commercialism, and it goes too far into the violence and gore to do that it's it's just a distraction at that point you're not then going oh i should really reevaluate my life you're going oh shit that guy needs a mental hospital like yeah, you're not i mean i'm not looking for this film to tell me how i should live my life i don't i don't watch movies for that i think that's what it's trying to do and it uh, fails maybe i mean maybe i i, I don't know um without talking to it, it's definitely a hypothesis you go this is a very preachy film and it, it falls if it, it falls short. If, if you're going to preach that hard, then you better have something, something behind it. Um, I'd be really curious to read the book and see the difference. My friend Michelle got a hold of me and said she'd read the book and prefers the book, as you usually do when you do both these things. I'd be curious to see how that comes off. I found I did find another review which kind of sums up my feelings for it quite well. This is again by someone who um, wrote, wrote this in January first, two thousand. So this is when it first similar to when it first came out, says, while this film is strong in most of the critical areas, its overall vision is so violent, so bloody, and so hopeless, I simply cannot recommend it to anyone, myself included. Okay. So, four out of ten, and... it and, just feels quite, yeah. And a strong feelings, at the very least. And at the very least, that's all we can ask for, is someone to have an opinion, and at least it's strong one way or the other. So, with that in mind, Ellie! Uh, or the other... Um, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I would. I'm trying to think about what what I rated as previous films, and I haven't got the rankings in front of me. I think I'm going to give it a nine. Um, I'm putting I'm putting it on the oh. same level as The Dark Knight, but behind The Joker, which I believe is a nine. Joker. The film is called Joker. Sorry, <laughs> I'm putting it on the same level <laughs> as The Dark Knight, but behind Joker, which I believe I gave a nine and a half. Um, so would give this one a nine. If I gave Joker a nine, then I'd give this one an eight and a half. I but I, I think not, I think I gave Joker eight, nine and a half. So everybody's responsible for keeping track of their own ratings. Not <laughs> uh, I'm going to give this an eight and a half myself. Uh, I do. Re- it's weird, Liam. I mean, after the hour mark, I was going. This is a nine, nine and a half kind of film, and then the wheels yeah. fell off for me. And the question Same. I, I, I want to end with maybe is, is this: Is the best part about this movie the plot twist? And I think. I'd be inclined to say, yes, it is. The best part of this movie yeah. is that moment. That moment where my brain kind of goes, uh, and like it's like that dolly zoom kind of thing that happens in Jaws, and you realize, you know, it's like when Bruce Willis realizes that the bomb's on the boat, and you're going, wait, what? And it's all kind of coming yeah. together. That's the best part of the film. And the problem is, you gave me more after that, and I didn't care anymore, because the cool part was yeah. over. Georgia? Yeah. I think I pretty much agree with you there. I like the film that they try to establish in the first act 
So they try to establish this guy who's going to support groups for help and that kind of thing. And then he establishes his own support group, as it were. Yep. Um, and that's good. And I like that. And then it takes a turn and I go, what am I watching now? This doesn't feel like a cohesive film. And then we get the turn, the big thing. And I like that. And then it's just boring after that. Okay. So there we were. And that was Fight Club. And we are going to take a turn next week. In fact, we are going to turn left about a thousand times. Because next week, Liam, we are doing big stars in fast cars. We are doing the 30th anniversary of the Tom Cruise film, Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder. (laughs) Yeah. So we are doing that. And we have a guest joining us as well next week. Oh, we cool. have our friend Richard joining us. And he's going to talk to us because he's, he's, he's big into car movies. And they used to host our film nights that we used to go to and see things like Days of Thunder. It's a typical boys' night kind of, uh, kind of film. So we're going to be looking at that. Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, Michael Rooker, Carrie Elwes, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. I'd also like to thank Lee Lestat Absolutely. for recommending Fight Club. Because that's had a very mixed review, and I think that's good. It's good. It's good when we have. It's a lot Sorry, better. Lee. No, it's great because you don't <laughs> want to have ones where y'all go. I really liked it. Well, I really liked it too. Can I join you guys in yeah. saying how much I like? You're not going to believe this, guys. I liked it as well. Well, we are looking for yeah. the best film ever, after all. We are looking for the best film yeah. ever, but it's okay if someone goes not on my list. That's yeah, fine. Absolutely. Um, I'd I'd really like to say thank you to Lee as well, actually, because this is one of those classic films that I'd never seen and was really wanting to so yeah. and if you're out there listening going i'd really like to actually there's a film that i would love to hear you guys talk about we've done this twice now we did uh something like it hot from a listener perspective that was our friend dan from little bitch pod we've done this now which lee recommended we do have one in the pipeline from another friend who oh. i will tell you about down the line another another friend cool. of ours this one a bit local again but has recommended a film and we will be tackling that at some point down the line and so if you want to find out if there's a film that's close, near and dear to your heart, or if you hate and just want to see if we like it or want to roast it as well, uh, please don't like recommend like Little Nicky because we won't do that. Like something that people do argue is a truly great film. Uh, go ahead. Give us a, a little fire off on our socials and you never know. We might be reviewing your film next. So please join us next time when we talk about Days of Thunder. And for best film ever, I've been Ian. And I've been Liam. I've been Ellie. And I've been Georgia. And remember, the first rule of best film ever is you tell everybody (laughs) about best film ever. (laughs) We'll see you next time.